Hey, look at that. Another faultless launch of the Stratosphere Lounge. Uh, Stratosphere Studio. Well, I'm going to have to do it again. Now, another faultless launch of the Stratosphere Studio show here brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. I am Bill Whittle himself. You probably don't recognize me with the uh, with the Florida hair or uh, trench hair, as I like to call it. Uh, this is it's actually raining outside. I told the story. The enormous majority of you who are watching this right now have no idea that I just said what I'm about to say just 30 seconds ago, but I uh, hadn't hit the record button, and I didn't want to deprive most of you of it, so the people who are watching live uh, get to hear it twice. Um, and I got to sell it now. I got to kind of, you know, I got to get back in there to that to that space. Yeah. Uh, so this this is what living in Florida was like for I don't know 30 or 29 years. No, not not that much just seemed like that long, I don't know, 20 or something like that, 15, whatever. Um, yeah, it, it's raining here in California, it's, uh, so everybody's outside taking pictures, and um, and it rains in Florida, which makes it, my hair look like this, and even when it's not raining, it here looks like this anyway, because it's 100% humidity. And as I said not too long ago, it should be about a minute and a half by my reckoning, um, What did I say? <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. Uh, it might be uh, 99 degrees in the daytime in the summer in Florida, but it does cool down at night. Might get down to 97, maybe. I'm stuck between mosquitoes, humidity, and Gavin Newsom, and it's a it's a living hell. That's that's the way to be. Yes, uh, Jacob Castro uh, on our YouTube stream has has actually nailed it. It's a glitch in the matrix. That's exactly what it is. Glitch in the matrix. It's actually interesting to talk about that. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit. This idea about um, simulations and stuff because a bunch of stuff to talk about. It's our first show of 2023. Hooray! And um, oh, Marisha says it's recording on YouTube. Not sure why I had to hit the button separately. Because, uh, Marusha, um, I'm not really that clever. I, I, I have managed to convince people I am, and that's a, I guess it's kind of, I wouldn't call it intelligence exactly. It's more like a low form of cunning, really. But, um, yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, did I, 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 did I probably said this three or four times. In any event, uh, thanks to uh, my friend Bill uh, Trick and his beautiful wife, Bobby, who've known me since I was, yay high, just a sapling. 15 years or so. Uh, she's the one who set me up on all of these um, COVID recovery supplements, which have helped enormously, and um, got me in and out of the flu in pretty much three days. Uh, you never really know. Uh, you know, I set up a misery scale of one to 10 on scale of how miserable I've been in my life, uh, just in terms of feeling bad, you know, psychological issues and financial issues. That goes up to 11. Um, but scale, scale of one to 10, um, I figured at the worst of COVID, I would have probably given myself the last year to the day, by the way, um, when I was at this in the middle of the flu thing, worst day of, uh, of COVID, worst two days, I, I would certainly be an eight and maybe eight and a half pushing a nine. If 10 means you died, that was pretty close. This thing never got above a four it was mostly a three for three days. Boom, out it goes. <clears throat> there will be a little bit of coughing as I continue to clear mucus out of my uh, respiratory system. Uh, I'd happy to show you pictures if, if you're interested in that. Um, 
it's actually amazing, though, you know. I was just, like, spitting up all this stuff the last couple days. And it's like, yeah, here's all this dead stuff inside you, and now you're getting it out. You're just taking all this horrible, slimy, gross, yellow-green crap, and you are tossing it overboard. And I, for the longest time, didn't know what that was, but it's like, yeah, it's all those... All those cells that the virus had killed and all the corpses of those little viral shells, all that junk, just out, chuck it overboard. So um, I apologize for the coughing, uh, but that has surprised me because normally when I get this kind of thing, I cough a lot. And I haven't been coughing at all, but now that I'm talking, <coughs> excuse me, I am coughing a little bit. Uh, so before we started rolling the show today, uh, I, um, I was sitting here... Uh, which is unusual because usually I just cruise in at the last minute. And um, and I got a chance to listen to the Timcast uh, for the first time ever. I listened about 15 minutes of it. Uh, it's I think it's still going on now. I don't know if he has any viewers left now that we're on the air. But uh, in any event, uh, yeah, it it's, sounds like a lot of fun. There's a lot of... Uh, of uh, there's a lot of... I don't want to say that. I don't want to say anything that sounds even remotely flip. I mean, it's, he's really good, and he's got a great take on things, and he's got a huge following. And he earned it. There's a lot of um, there's there's a lot of depth to a lot of the discussions that he may not be privy to on account of him being less than a century old. Uh, but yeah, you know. So, um, so I missed last year's, last week's Stratosphere Lounge uh, because I was ill and um, been looking around a lot of things. So I got a lot of stuff really kind of talk about in no particular order. Um, let me lead with this because it's the one I don't want to forget. Uh, I had heard the term um, mass psychosis event before, and I knew what it was in general terms, but I actually started studying it by listening to a couple of YouTube channels. Uh, really pretty detailed and, and really well-made um, breakdowns of them with, you know, millions of views. And there's no question that we're going through one of those now. A mass psychosis event is where everybody goes nuts, and it's happened repeatedly throughout history. Certainly the last days of the Roman Empire, the behavior was just plain nutty, and everybody knew it. I think the thing that really... Um, that uh, defines a, a, a period of mass psychosis is everything's upside down and everybody knows it and no one can do anything about it because no one can act. It's really what it comes down to. Uh, he, um, they, 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 whenever it's brought up, you, talk, you know, you got your go-to guy, which is uh, Adolf. And you would hear people say that, you know, that the rise of Nazism was a mass psychosis event. Well, certainly it's true. But when they define what, what, is, a, what is mass psychosis, what, what, we know what the psychological mechanism is, but what, what is this particular mass psychosis? And the description was, oh, it's a, it's a, uh, the mass psychoses of the 20th century were a move towards totalitarianism. Okay. And I'm thinking, so what's totalitarianism? So then the person says, totalitarianism is, uh, is a system where a small number of people rule and have no concern whatsoever for the huge number of people that they do rule. Those people are just there to serve them and stuff. And that's when I had uh, a bit of an insight on this. 
what um, what that insight was is well, if you're saying that the desire to have a small elite of people ruling over everybody else, telling them what to do for their own gratification and not giving a damn about what happened to them, that's not a mass psychosis event. That's human history. And this is something I've thought about, one of the first things I ever thought about really in this line of work, and that is that actually, if you really want to think about it, it's the American Revolution, it's the American experiment that's the mass psychosis event. It's the thing that was the departure from reality. It's, it was a vision, and, and it, there was no precedent for it. Didn't didn't exist on Earth, this idea of just people running their own lives. Insane, delusional. And, um, and, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, because when I was listening, uh, yeah, we're the freaks. That's what I said. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I was talking about, you know, you think about the, the third world, started doing this in the beginning of the war on terror and the Iraq war and stuff. And you would see all of this just, what's the word I'm looking for? Hmm. It'll come to me. Lethargy. Um, this idea that this village has a sewer running down the middle of the street because it's always had a sewer running down the middle of the street. It was a sewer there when my dad was a boy and when his dad was a boy and his dad and so on and so on and so on. And I kept thinking, what's wrong with those people? Why don't they fix it? And then I realized, no, that's the way it's always been around the world for everybody. Fixing it is the part that's new and different. They're not the freaks. We're the freaks. And that needs to be understood, I think, because... Um, hey, our friend Clay Brady is here. Uh, Bradley, rather. Excuse me, Clay. I'm sorry, Clay. Clay's been doing a lot to, to keep our uh, our Twitter thing rolling, which is now at some 30,000 members, and that's nice to know. Um, so I, I want to talk about mass psychosis because it's clearly going on, and when I started thinking about it, uh, which I want to do every now and then, uh, I was thinking about this a couple hours ago. There are all these symptoms and all of these things that have to happen for a mass psychosis event. And the one that seems to be consistently top of the charts is the first thing you have to have is a pervasive sense of fear in the population because it's a mass psychosis event. So you're talking about large groups of people. And one of the things that seems to be universally consistent among these things is, is a society has to be afraid before it will start to really manifest itself. And if they are, then it rapidly becomes a feedback loop and things get very bad very fast. Fear. Uh, the witch hunts were a mass psychosis event. Um, that was a fear. It was a rational fear, but everybody felt it. And and I suspect that fear and the, you know, the Black Death wasn't a whole lot earlier than that in terms of the speed that things moved during the Middle Ages and, you know, Somebody's getting sick. It's got to be that old lady who lives down the hill by herself in that little dilapidated shack. Let's go set her on fire and maybe my kid won't die. Um, so it's fear. And and it's not lost on me. And if you're watching the show, I'm sure it's not lost on you either that the one thing that you can say has been happening consistently since... <sighs> 
been watching this manipulation and, and emotional manipulation for a long time now. I was going to say it's at least started in 2008, but it really, I think it probably started with the Clintons, honestly. Here's, here's, here's what I'm saying, right? So we have um, 2005 outcomes, um, an inconvenient truth. It's not just getting warmer. It's the end of the world. We're all going to die. Uh, and the reason that came out in 2005 was we had about a 15-year period there where we, where we didn't have anything to be afraid of. That's really remarkable, if you think about it. If you look at American history, human history, between 1991 and 2005, 14, 15 years, there was nothing to be afraid of. There was, it was, remember, end of history. No terrorism. There was no pandemic. There was no nuclear war because the Soviets were gone. We had 15 years of not being afraid of stuff. And I don't know how many of these pieces are connected, uh, it, it actually doesn't really matter. Whether It doesn't matter whether they're connected or not, whether they're orchestrated or not. The fact that they're all manifest means that there's going to be a result. So out comes Al Gore saying, the, you know, the world is um, going to burn. And here's the hockey stick. Here's, here's where we're heading into territory we've never been before. And that, um, and that was alarming. C.P. Tomes gets it right exactly. <coughs> oh crap we're losing control they aren't afraid anymore no that's exactly right so we got the global warming thing and evan say wrote a a little song or a poem about all the things that we've been afraid of in my lifetime when i say afraid i mean like civilization ending things uh ozone hole uh acid rain uh, overpopulation depletion of resources, depletion of oil, um, global cooling, new ice age, supernova explosion, black hole entering the solar system, killer asteroid, that one's always good for, for, for a long one, uh, nuclear war, obviously. We're built to worry, that's why we're survivors. We, the, 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 our our, the proto-human ancestors that didn't worry aren't here because they're the ones that didn't post any guards at the mouth of the cave to keep the leopards out at 2 in the morning. So we are built to worry. We're inclined to worry. And when we are in conditions of real hardship, we worry about the things that we should be worrying about, like leopards. When all the leopards have been kept away by the um, vigilance of, uh, of uh, strong men who sleep in cold, uncomfortable places so that I don't have to, then that worry system will adjust itself to the level of uh, fear. And if it turns out that there's no leopards to worry about or dark hairy mountain people or, you know, hydrogen bombs raining from the sky, if it turns out that there's nothing really to fear, human psychology, and this is a survival trait, will ramp up your worry to make sure that you stay afraid. And you may be what you may be afraid of is that they'll cancel your favorite show, or maybe you'll be afraid that you get um, soy milk instead of um, almond milk uh, at Starbucks. But you will continue to worry up to the level of your uh, neuroticness, uh neuroses. So here's an idea I've been thinking about. Um, 
there's there's no question that that, this, that there are signs of a mass psychosis event going on now, that, that everybody knows things are inside, inside out, upside down, and crazy, and that we all feel like there's nothing we can do about it. They said that one of the things, when you looked at the mass psychosis events of the 20th century, like the rise of Nazism, so people were doing horrible things. Everybody knew the world was just falling apart, and nobody acted because one of the one of the qualities of people who are afraid is they lose initiative. They become um, passive, and they become demoralized, and they keep their head down, and they don't want to take any risks. Oh, I don't want to say that. I might get canceled. A hundred years ago, you would say, I don't want to say that. I don't want to get shot. That's a great example, by the way of what I was just talking about. We used to worry about leopards. Now we worry about our, our, our Starbucks order being wrong. We worry to the same level. So 100 years ago, you used to worry about having an opinion that the dictator didn't like, you would be shot. Now we're worried to the same degree almost. Certainly we're worried into silence because we don't want to look bad on Facebook and we don't want to be canceled. You know, We don't want people say nasty things about us. So anyway, I've been beating around this uh, the topic I've been trying to chase here. And that topic is, I think I want to put together, I don't know how long it would be or how big it would be, but I think it'd be useful to put together a self-defense course, psychological self-defense course for, for Westerners, not just Americans, for Westerners. A psychological self-defense course in terms of how to protect yourself against and how to survive mass psychosis events. Uh, you can teach. Um, you can teach uh, personal defense, and it works really, really well. Uh, I took a little bit of that for several months. I was never into martial arts. I just basically wanted to know, you know, if I had to, if there was a situation I couldn't just back out of or talk my way out of. I wanted to be able to figure out a way to hurt somebody so that I could, you know, run off screaming like a little girl. That was my plan. Um, so so once, once I took a number of self-defense courses, I found that I thought very differently about being out there on the street, things that used to, I wouldn't say worry me, and I certainly don't mean incapacitate me. I've always been good in emergencies for some reason. But things that would leave me like, now what? Once you take a self-defense class... Uh, you know, for a while, your ambient level of fear goes way down because, not because you, you're not worried, you're just going to kick their ass, it's nothing like that. It's just you have a plan now. You know what to do and and how to do it. And and that's that's what really scares you is that moment, of what what do I do, what do I do? Well, you know, I'm just going to just smile and back away. But if this guy comes for me, then I know what I'm going to do. And um, and that's kind of thing I'm talking about. Uh, if if I were to design a, a self defense class against mass psychosis, I would have to look. Uh, this idea is two hours old, by the way, so it's not terribly well thought out. But talking on the fly, I think what it would consist of is this: you'd have to. I think you'd have to look at it as if you were teaching physical self defense. And the first part would be identifying the threat, right? That's the first thing that I, that I think most mostly you learn in, in a self-defense class is who should, who should you be worried about? Situational awareness, the ability to read signals. This person is setting off a lot of signals that 
don't look good, don't feel good. So you got to identify what the threat is. So that's the first thing I would work on. And then this, again, I'm just spitballing this, but this is how it's breaking down in my head. The second thing would be you would then have to make a decision. Can you, can you roll with this? Meaning can you walk or run away or are you going to have to actually fight? And I've never once heard a, a, a reputable self-defense instructor say, oh, no, don't run. If you can run, just stay there and fight. Every one of them says, look, if you can run away, get out of that situation, do it. That makes sense to me. And that's a sign of a guy who, who's really secure. And he's like, yeah, I would, I would run the hell like out of there if I could. The only reason I know how to do this is if I don't have the way to run. So if you're dealing with this onslaught this psychological onslaught that we're dealing with, then the second, first you got to recognize it. Second thing is, do I have a chance to run away from this? Meaning, meaning, can I turn my back on this? Because the thing about this mass psychosis event is it operates on you without you being aware of it. So that's a fairly, that's a fairly advanced step. Can I walk away from this? Can I turn my back on it anyway? And if I do, will I know that it's not affecting me or is that kind of what it wants me to do and it's going to get into my head anyway? Um, so, uh, wow, so Speed of Flight says, I'm 8th Don Marshall Taekwondo. Yun Moon Kwan style, the original martial art. That sounds very impressive, uh, Speed of Light. And, and, you know, maybe you can s serve like Lord Bios and when we were talking about the coronavirus, he kept me out of trouble there. Maybe you can help me with this if I say something stupid, which is a full-time job for, for those of you watching at home. Um, but if you see or hear something that you want to add or on this particular subject or uh, if I get something backwards, love to hear from you because that actually sounds very impressive. Okay, so, the, so all right, so we know what the threat is, and I'll get into all of these things in specifics. But first of all, we, is there a threat? Yes, that is an actual threat. Okay, can I, can I get away from the threat? If you can say yes... Um, then that's the smart play, right? Rudyard Kipling talked about, a, when he was talking about the British wars in India, I forget what the exact quote is, but he basically said uh, uh, an Indian, you know, a, a member of an Indian uprising, a native with a spear, you know, it's like a sixpence spear, can take down and kill a guy whose education costs thousands of pounds, which was a huge amount of money in those days. He's right. It's like you don't. It, it's the kind of a version of the you know the 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 um, Maserati and the uh, Pinto uh, trying to get into the same lane. One of them has more to lose than the other one does. So um, so can you run away? And then of course the most important part would be well if you can't run away. And by the way, that's one of the qualities of a mass psychosis event is it's got to be pervasive. It's the whole atmosphere has to be ringing. So running away is probably not much of an option. Uh, so if you can't run away, then you have to fight. And then that brings up the really, re that's the reason why I want to do it. What would the fight be like now? We're in a new year. We had a new election that was disappointing. That's So I'm talking about like an entirely new, it's not even a series really. I just want to, I just want to change some things up. Uh, I want to change the way they look, and I want to just want to change the format. You know, stuff. I'll keep doing the firewalls and things. We'll keep doing the the right angles, but 
Um, I need something that looks and feels different. But defense against mass psychosis event, that is challenging. The first thing I would say um, is that your most valuable ally, I would think, in, in defense against this is is that you'd have a you know you'd have an army you'd have a team you wouldn't be out there by yourself trying to beat the Nazis by yourself. The purpose of this insanity is to convince you that you're insane. That's what it's all about. Already you can hear sane people saying, "Well, okay, so look, I'm a cis I'm a cis male I'm a straight male," and you say, "You're you're working there, but they're they're working on you. They're getting there. You know what I mean." You're not a cis male, you're not a cis female, you're a male, you're a female. And all of this batshit crazy stuff that they're trying to foist on you is already infecting your language. Um, so, and actually, uh, Speed of Light got got right in there because this was actually the point I wanted to make on this. Uh, so Bill, as Bill said, the main battle is against your own fear. I think that the trans movement as an example, because that's certainly the hot topic now. I know what it's designed to do, and I've always known what it was designed to do to the people it's working upon. Uh, it's designed to follow the Frankfurt School Marxist theory that the only way to defeat America is to divide it up into sections, set those sections at war against the middle, and if you've got young, well-educated, rich, white kids, you've got to be handy if you could find a victim group for them. And you can't, you can't make somebody gay who's not gay. That's certainly been my experience. Uh, and so if you get to them young enough while they're confused anyway, this is a chance... This is a chance to create a whole new wedge, a whole new segment of victims, people who are angry, angry at the status quo. Now, now they're being oppressed. And how many times have you heard Rachel Levine, I would name him by his first name, but I don't remember what it was, uh, but you hear, you'll hear this all the time. This is killing trans kids. This, 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 your transphobic comments are, are killing trans kids. You're forcing them to cancel themselves. And so they're creating a whole new grievance group, a whole new victim class that anybody can join, really, if you think about it. One of the things that's clear to me, having watched an awful lot of Odin's men's TikTok reviews of, of the, the worst of the worst and, the, and these these you know, I think I talked about this last show, these um, purple-haired nose ring teachers, you know, with the, the hog ring and the nose like that, uh, they keep talking about my kids, my kids, my kids, they're second graders, they're third graders. They talk about those kids as if it's their kids because it is their kids. They're never going to have kids. They're all gay. They're not going to have kids. Those are their kids. I don't know if you've seen this multi-panel thing of, of a bunch of trans and gay people singing. It's one of those giant poster boards, and they're singing, we're coming for your kids. And uh, it's not a joke. It's not a parody. They're just getting that brazen about it. So, um, so 
so I always knew that it was designed to, to create a new victim group. What I didn't realize until much later was that it, it serves the additional purpose. I'm getting to the space stuff. Don't worry, astronaut. We got, we got entertainment stuff. This is an entertainment pitch. This is not a, a, a political analysis. This is a pitch for, for content. Um, so the second thing it does is it achieves the uh, goal of the uh, global elites, which seems to uniformly be population reduction. Uh, one thing I hadn't realized, because it's so obvious it just never occurs to you, that even, forget about bottom surgery, it turns, it turns, it makes anybody who goes through this procedure become sterile. I mean, that just didn't even hit me until really recently, but it's like we're, 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 we are promoting and celebrating sterilization because that's what it is. One of the, I, I know this is all kind of a, uh, just a smorgasbord of random thoughts, but these are things I have been thinking about. I don't have them all in right order yet, but this is why I do the show sometimes. So sticking with the trans movement thing, I think, so it's designed to make a victims group. It's designed to lower the population by making some per percentage of the population that wouldn't have been sterile, sterile. Pornography is, is reducing... Teenagers don't just teenagers and kids in their twenties don't have sex anymore. They don't have to. Or sex is everywhere. It's it's a click away. They don't they don't do it. They're, the the entire life force is 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 going out of Western civilization. And testosterone levels are falling. I don't have to. It's all it's not news to you. But only when I was starting to think about this mass psychosis event thing did I realize that I think that the, the that one of the major objectives of why the White House is pushing things like, you know, Dylan Mulvaney and, and why they're pushing it so hard, why are they pushing it so hard? I think on reflection that one of the reasons they're doing it is because it makes all the rest of the normal people, it makes them afraid. I'm not afraid of the trans kids. I'm not afraid of the gays. I'm not even afraid of Antifa. They're, they're, they're jokes. But I'm terrified about what's happening and that puts you in a state of constant stress, worry, and fear. It makes you, when you see what they're doing, when you see what's on, when you see Dylan Mulvaney talking about carrying extra tampons in his purse, when you talk about, now, it, it, things are happening so fast. I don't know if, if you're up on current events, but the, 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 the topic de, de, de jour for the last month is not only can trans men who become women, not only can they be uh, mothers, but they can menstruate. And there are now talking about selling products to simulate this. And they're insisting that it's true. I'm seeing scores of, of TikTok videos where you have trans males saying they've been taking female hormones and, and they're so proud of the fact that now they have periods they're absolutely over the moon. See, we're just as biologically women as you are. Uh, Blue Moon says no one ever called me normal. Me neither, uh, Blue Moon, but we're talking about pretty wide set of brackets here. Compared to what's on the outside of these brackets, it's, it's, a, it's a big tent, this, this normal tent. So 
so you look at this, you know that that's, this, this is the end of society. And when I say the end of society, I'm not being hyperbolic there. If the whole world were to go trans, that would be the end of society. There would be no reproduction. It's not possible. And this is the thing that I think I'm most interested in at the moment. Stay with me on this because this gets a little bit uh, tough to untangle. But stay with me on this. You know, politics makes strange bedfellows. Uh, conservatives, libertarians are, but conservatives is a stronger example, are finding to their amazement that they're, that they're joining forces with, with gays and lesbians who are as outraged about this as we are. They're not only outraged at, at the at the idea, but they're they're especially outraged at the idea of of the way that they're pushing this onto kids because it plays into the stereotype about them that they did not, in fact, promote, right? So you've got gay men out there now who who are saying, look, they before before being gay became commonplace, we were accused of constantly trying to recruit kids to be gay, and that we didn't do that, but these people are. You know, it's, 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 it's given everybody a bad name. Plus, it's disgusting. But so, so back to this issue. So, so stay with me on this. There are two things that I'm seeing now. They're both delusional. They're both psychotic. They're both disconnected from reality on a fundamental level and that the people who are, who are promoting these ideas genuinely believe in them, right? They're not, they're not snake oil salesmen. They genuinely believe them. Two of them. One of them is fat phobia. One, what you're seeing now is you're seeing on TikTok, especially time and time and time again, you're seeing three, four, five hundred pound people saying that being four hundred pounds is not only not unhealthy, it's dieting that is unhealthy. There's no medical evidence whatsoever, they will say, to indicate that being a five hundred pound person is unhealthy, and the medical establishment is killing us. That's what they say. We can't get medical care. And when you ask them, please elaborate, what they'll say is, well, we can't get medical care because if I have a problem with my back and I go to the doctor, he'll just tell me to lose weight. So the problem goes untreated. So we don't get medical care. So, so this fat phobia is killing all of us, murdering us all. The reason he tells you to lose weight is because he's a doctor and he, that's why you went to him. He's a specialist in the machine that you live in. And he knows that things like lower back pain are often, in fact, virtually always associated with um, being morbidly obese. But even if it has nothing to do with it, your, your primary health problem is you're 26 years old and, and, you're, and you're bent over trying to catch your breath after walking up one flight of stairs. But to them, that's just plain, that's the, that's the system at work. That's the, that's the institutionalized oppression. So... One of these, one of the two examples of this, of this um, thing I'm talking about is fat acceptance. Is that there's no scientific basis, therefore no reason for people not to be fat. And since there's no biological reason for it, and since you've been instructed to hate fat people by society, uh, and, and and it's racist too, by the way. It was designed to keep black people down. This whole idea of body mass index. I'm hearing this every day. They're trying to do the same thing that the trans people are trying to do. Here we go. After all of this, 
to the point. They're trying to talk you into being insane. They're trying to convince you. They're arguing with you. This is one of the few things that they can have an actual like debate or argument about. It's the only thing they know. Um, Tom uh, Stratton, let me just get this before it goes. Uh, super chat. Thank you, Tom. Big Pharma wins the trans craze. Yes, there's more behind it than an attempt to reduce population. Thanks for the heads up about uh, Chosen. It was awesome. You're welcome. And yes, of course, Big Pharma's in there. Yes. So there's money to be made and, and surgeons and all the rest of it. But, but the, the, the people who are saying that being four or 500 pounds is perfectly okay and, and what the people who are who are trans are saying too is very similar because when you listen to people i'm just going to go ahead and give them their term because it's no skin off of my nose and and frankly i can't think of another turn for them when you have a man who does either just identifies as woman because he feels like it or goes all the way has the top and bottom surgeries whatever right that is a male that wants to be a female but, but they don't want to date females. They want to date males, but they're not gay. A male who, trans, who, who does the transition into female wants to have sex with a man, but wants to have sex with a man as a woman. Charming stuff, really. But that's really it, right? So I remember, I, I, can't, I, I can't possibly have come up with this line, although I can't remember where I heard it. It's just barely possible I came up with it. I'm sure it's been out there forever, but I remember being charmed when I first remember thinking about it. It's like, oh my God, I've spent my whole life, I'm a, I'm a lesbian trapped in a man's body. Uh, but that's really what, what, what we're talking about here. But here's, here's the point about talking you into insanity. You will see these trans people, formerly males, now, according to them, biological females, telling you, arguing with you, that if you're not willing to date them now that they're women, there's something wrong with you. You're transphobic. There's no, you hear it again and again and again. There is no conceivable reason why you would not want to date me I'm a woman, I'm a trans woman. No conceivable reason why you would why you wouldn't want to date me if you weren't a bigot filled with with fear and hate. They're trying to talk you into it. The, the, the same thing with the fat phobia thing. They're trying to tell you that since it's all invented, there's no harmful benefit to being fat. If you're not willing to date somebody who's 400 pounds, then it's because there's something wrong with you. You've got the problem. You're fat phobic. You're 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 a monster. You're a monster. And and here's the thing, right? I know and you know that they're never going to do it. It's never going to work, right? You these people will never talk you out of things like what you're attracted to. Never. It's not possible. Even even with electrodes you can't do that. You can make somebody say that, but you can't change that. Right, so they so they believe both the fat the, the fat advocates and the trans advocates believe that they can talk you into becoming their reward, right? Because the reason that a male trans trans uh, transitions to a female is so that he can attract a straight male, she, right? 
That's what they want. What they want is they want to become biological women so that they can have sex with heterosexual males. And this is the thing that's on the table that no one's talking about. That is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the more that they realize it's not going to happen, the nastier things are going to get. But this is what I'm seeing now. They're all over the place. They're trying to talk you into their reward system. I don't want to diet. I don't want to have any discipline. I want to eat whatever I want to. I want to get as big as I want to. Uh, I don't need a seat extender, a seat belt extender on an airplane. I need, I need two. And by the way, uh, I think this idea that you would keep your seat things down on an airplane, it's, that's fat phobic. You just don't like being touched by fat people. I don't like being touched by any people that I don't know, number one. And number two, <laughs> I hate to break this to you, uh, but, but we're all buying these seats on these airplanes. We're not, we're not, we are renting space. We're not paying by gross tonnage right? Your ticket costs the same as my ticket. Airplane's working harder to carry you up to 35,000 feet than it is me. And it's working harder with me than it is on that nine-year-old girl over there. But those tickets are, the, well, 19. Those tickets all cost the same, right? We're, we are buying space. We're not buying weight. And, and they're saying, well, you should just simply put those things up. It's much more comfortable that way. It's more comfortable for you. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're, they are not giving themselves any contact with reality. They have, created a lives, they have created lives for themselves that are dependent upon other people agreeing with their neurosis. If, the, I, I've said it five times, it needs to be said again because I never hear anybody say this. If the reason that you are going through all of these puberty blockers, hormone therapies, these horrible surgeries, and when I say horrible, I mean horrible. They're the, 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 the complication rates off the charts, they're, they're horrific, horrific, and fully 100% um, volitional. So who's going to put up with this pain and all of this who? Somebody who desperately, desperately wants to be loved by a straight male as a female. And all of this effort that they're going to, all of it, the drugs and the, and the surgeries, all of it is not going to get them what they want. It is not going to work because you will not get straight men to date or marry individuals that used to be males and now have had their body altered. They're incapable of children. Among the many other things that, that I would have a, a bit of a problem with. So, so, so this is kind of what I'm getting at, right? <coughs> this is part of the mass psychosis thing. And, and I bring all this up because I want to do a series on, on, on psychological self-defense. And so how do you deal with that? Because it, I'm not saying it works, but I am saying that it gives them a virtually impenetrable shield, you know. And, and as I've said many times, these people use our own decency and kindness against us. You know, I, and I'll wrap this up on this and move on to a couple other things.
Um, I've said many times since the subject first came up, that I said, look, if my Uncle Bob wants to call himself my Aunt Betty, it's no skin off of my nose, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to do it, right? It's my Uncle Bob. It doesn't cost me anything. I'm not going to change my language. I'm not going to come up with a whole new set of adverbs, pronouns, adjectives, and so on. And I'm especially not going to agree with you when you say you are a biological woman. I'm sorry, I meant to say birthing person, chest feeder. Although chest feeders can be both as well. It's very complicated, this one or the other thing. Very complicated. And I've said this for a long time, that it's no skin off of my nose. You know, I'm happy to play along. And I've, I've recently said to myself, that may be how we got into this trouble in the first place. You know, out of kindness, genuinely out of kindness. They accuse us of all this transphobia and all this hatred and all of that. No, the reason that it's gotten as far as it's gotten is because I was willing to call my Uncle Bob my Aunt Betty because it's no skin off my nose and I'm a nice guy. But when I do that, I'm at the very least opening the door, at least in that person's mind, to continue going down that tunnel. And the tunnel is, if I believe something enough, if I believe in it enough, then it's going to actually happen. That's a really good definition of, of, a, of a psychosis. Is de- that's the, the fact that's the definition of psychosis, is having beliefs that do not correspond with reality. Yeah, sad wings raging says enabling. It is. It's a form of enabling. That's what it is. It's me being nice. It's not me being hateful. It's me being caring and loving and, and accepting, genuinely. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But when I go along with it, I'm enabling it. I am, I'm playing along, and now the bar has been set here. Now we can both agree that we're going to call Uncle Bob Aunt Betty. That's now the floor instead of the ceiling. So all this stuff is at work on us all the time, and, and I'm trying to figure out what this self-defense, psychological self-defense would consist of. And one thing I know for a certain fact is is that people who don't go crazy are the ones that have uh, families, good families. That's not to say people in good families don't have crazy kids. On the contrary, they can have as many crazy kids as anybody else. It's just that if you have a family and you sit down for dinner every night, and there's a strong father and a loving mother and all the rest of the cast of characters, behavioral problems in this boy at two or three are going to be addressed when he's two or three. They're not going to be ignored while he goes down to the basement and plays and plays Call of Duty until he's 18, and then he decides to put the, the video game away and, and, and pick up some real guns. It, it's isolation that allows these pathologies to fester. So... In terms of self-defense, right, so we don't all go crazy. There's nothing I can do about them going crazy, at least not now. How do we not go crazy? How do we not go crazy? I think the first thing we have to do is constantly sit down at the, uh, at the virtual dinner table, talk to each other, and reassure each other that we're not going crazy no matter how many times they tell us that we are. And no matter how many signals we see, you know, Maricopa County, I'm not revolver, and uh, although I'm that's just sheer laziness and stupidity. And many times I have thought, 
If I ever need to be, I don't know, I'll probably just kick myself from here up into the mountains. Um, anyway, so so that's it. It's a it's a it's a series that I want to do. It's something something that I really do want to do because I think it's it's early in development. Uh, moving on on the uh, entertainment show because this is an entertainment show. Um, big breakthrough finally got three scripts delivered by Christmas. Uh, fourth one's practically out the door. Uh, there is an end to this process. It sat there forever trying to get this uh, this thing I'm doing for Daily Wire. For those of you who may be tuning in for the first 272 viewers on YouTube, my God, that's more than the than that wretched Stratosphere Lounge gets. Um, so uh, it looks like we're going to add another episode. And it was originally going to be, it was called Masters of Soviet Terror. It was about the secret police chiefs. And I realized after I'd been working on it for two months and couldn't get a script out the door, why isn't this working? It's because you can't tell the story of Felix Dzerzhinsky or, 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 or Yezhov unless you know what's going on in the world behind them, right? And communism and Bolshevik, Bolshevism was a classic example of a mass psychosis event. And I needed to, so I needed to get communism done and we talked about it last show i'm not going to go into it again but the ramshackle revolution and the true history of the communist revolution is just hilarious really hilarious if it hadn't killed you know 40 50 million people it'd be be the greatest joke of all time <coughs> in any event um i am uh there is a there is an end to that anyways there's something on the horizon there uh and they're and they're really quite good i think these shows so really think they're quite good um and and desperately needed so uh the thing i wanted to talk about tonight really um let me just answer that question since it was asked david booty says could nicholas ii have turned russia into a constitutional monarchy if he tried to with help from george v? no nicholas ii was had a infallible ability to make the wrong decision. He created the Duma, the parliament, after the Bloody Sunday Massacre in 1905, kind of the failed dress rehearsal for the 1917 Communist Revolution. And he created this parliament kicking and screaming. He regretted it the second he did it. He appointed virtually everybody who was in it. The Tsar had a complete override over anything they might pass. And not only did he have the right to override it and, and make it a rubber stamp body, he just event, he just essentially ignored it. So he was the he was part of the problem. Kerensky, on the other hand, Kerensky is a deeply flawed guy, but so far he's the hero of our story because um, he really he really wanted nearly got there. So anyway. That thing that's been sitting on top of everything else and keeping me away from the space stuff and all the other stuff, it's actually moving. They're actually shipping product now. So that's that's a step in the right direction. <coughs> and so what I wanted to just chat with you guys about was um, let's get a little feedback live. We've got two live comment sections going here. Um, and I wanted to uh, just kind of toss out... Um, just the question, you know, what do you think I should be doing? 
Before you answer that, don't, hold hold the typing, please, because I'm going to miss it. Just let me just set this up. I'll continue to do the firewalls because there is a there is a niche for that kind of information bomb. But the last one did fifteen thousand views, and you know, like I said, if I used to be if I got less than four hundred thousand, I was really disappointed. So, so they'll stay, but but the, there's. The, the medium has changed, the audience has changed, the method has changed. Uh, authenticity is it. Anything that looks produced is less trusted. I find myself guilty of that now. Anytime I see anything that looks like a graphic sequence or something, YouTube has changed me. And, and it's not television. Jordan Peterson was talking about that. So, so I want to do, do different stuff. So, so um, oh, that's an interesting point there. D, hang on a second. Uh, DKS. The one thing I know is whatever it is that I do, and I do want to continue with these don't be an idiot about series, whatever it is, it's got to be written, right? It's got to be, it's got to be timeless. It's got to be evergreen. I have right angles so I can make sassy comments about, you know, uh, the, um, the guy who can't find his way off the stage. The thing that's become clear to me is that the things that people like are the things that can last, you know, for a while. And for a while, I mean until the end of the universe, until heat death of the universe. Um, so it has to be written. It has to be timeless. has to be important. Um, I would like to try to think about different ways to present it. I'm really thinking like iPhone walking down the street, that kind of thing. So um, that's something I realize is there. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what, uh, package to put together for we get a new year every year but we get a new political cycle every two and from 2020 to 2022 that was a political cycle and I want to keep doing what I'm doing but I want to I want a different skin on it and I want a different angle on it and I want it to look different and sound different and I want to know what you guys want to want to see we're doing two of these a week now, and that's fine. It, 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 did it rain? Uh, LSU missed the beginning of the show. We're actually missed five beginnings of the show. That's so many times we had to set this thing up till we got it going. But yes, it's raining here in California. Everybody's outside taking pictures. And uh, this is what Florida hair looks like, so I don't want to hear another word about staying in California. Um, so I want to do what we did briefly, and that is do a a, a uh, Zoom call with the members. Just no topic, just, hey, how's everybody doing? Talk about whatever you want to talk about for 90 minutes. I want to do that. Um, I want to do... Uh, I'm not above doing a, you know, hot take on a news story once, you know, three times a week, twice a week, once a week. But frankly... It seems like that's kind of a waste for time for me. I am, uh, I've got Right Angle for that. And we've had a lot of fun on Right Angle. And we're going to continue to do them, I hope. And uh, I, don't think, I don't think anybody, certainly I have never gone back and looked at a Right Angle twice. So that's something I need to keep in mind. No, no, I'm not, uh, Right Angles are fun. 
and we need them. And because it's, it's something, it's, it's a comment. But my point is, if I'm going to be talking about current events, transitory things, right, then might as well do it with Stephen Scott because we can have fun with it that way. Um, so the firewalls are, are, they're just plain dying in terms of views. That's why there's been fewer and fewer of them. Um, I really like this idea about don't be an idiot about it. It's basically a cure for the pathetic education system. Here's six minutes. Don't be an idiot about airplanes. You watch this thing five minutes, and after that, you, you won't be an idiot about airplanes. You can have a conversation about an airplane, not be an idiot. You don't have to be an expert, but you won't be an idiot. Um, those are fun. Um, so uh, there's that. Uh, just because I'm curious in this particular subject. Um, uh, let me see. Exxon Petrolis says uh, the NFL CPR story is sucking up all the attention tonight. I haven't been uh, watching that. Can you tell me what that is? Uh, yeah, we'll talk about Avatar. Uh, that's a great idea, Zachary. Um, earlier, I, I, I asked somebody to ha hold on to that thought, but somebody said, hey, Bill, you were against the um, SLS system so long and so hard, but the thing, um, thing just performed great. Let's just say that it did. Um, and I'm not, I'm not calling you a liar. Let's just say that the mission was completely nominal. That's, that's more reason... I didn't want that mission to succeed. That's the first time I can ever say that, but I, I, I don't want anybody to get hurt. I just didn't want it to succeed. I would have been much happier if it just basically kept leaking on the pad and they just rolled it away and it eventually becomes a, a Bill's def oh my God, defensive tackle collapsed on the street, uh, on the field, did he? Given CPR, is this another one of those 26-year-olds having a heart attack? Twenty-five-year-old peak physical specimen. Dave says it might have been a, a hard hit to the sternum, bruised heart. That's certainly a possibility. There's a lot of impact in football, and if it wasn't for the fact that other young people were just dropping like flies from unexplained causes, I wouldn't be too. Um, worried about it but they are so I am um, I, I certainly hope he obviously hope he survives I don't know what the scope of this is but we'll see um, yeah if I if I lose YouTube over that that would be an interesting little tell wouldn't it um, anyway I hope he makes a full recovery uh, I was kind of curious about about that that's what I suspected it was he stood up after the hit and then fell straight backwards. Yeah, I've seen seen some of that stuff. I'm not going to repeat what you just wrote there, Edward Smith, but I get the feeling that you're right for a while and then suddenly you're going to be very wrong because I just don't see that this is something you can keep in a bag forever. Coconut says he didn't collapse. He just flat out dropped to the ground stiff onto his back. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, there's plenty of reasons what it could be, but there's also, among those plenty of reasons, a new reason. Um, 
Okay, so uh, so here's here's basically how it looks going forward from here. Um, I, I want to have something new to offer because if I'm going to do a, a, another membership drive, I, I just got to have something. Otherwise, I just feel like I'm holding a tin cup and I can't do that anymore. I just, just, I'm just can't. I'm not built that way. It's a character defect. It's not a not trying to virtue signal. I'm just, I just have been through situations in my life where I've had to ask for money for for so long that I just, I just don't, I just can't do it anymore. If I've got something new to offer, that's a different story. Um, uh, oh, Eric Blake says I should write the story of the um, of the Russian Revolution as a comedy. Well, I did, and it turns out that I was paid to write that by Daily Wire, so that'll be coming out for them. I'm thinking about. So I was just going to say, look, here's here's what's on the table for 2023. Um, I should be finished with this uh, history of the Soviet Union by, I'm hoping, end of January, without question, by the end of February. Um, and then we'll shoot those. Uh, I've contracted to shoot the host segments for uh, America's Forgotten Heroes. Uh, which is going to be fun. There's some talk about actually going to locations to do that. That would be great. Um, and then there is the uh, the unnamed Daily Wire project number two. So I've got the uh, Empire of Terror, History of the Soviet Union. That's in progress. The live-action Cold War is shot. I've seen the rough cut of the first episode. It's fantastic. They're going to do the same thing to America's Forgotten Heroes. It's all in the can. I just have to record it, but we're going to try to break that one open, and, you know, that would be great. So that's booked. And then there is another project of comparable scale to the one I'm working on now, also booked. <coughs> I'm going to try to turn that into... Uh, a, a document. Let me get that back into my mouth. A non-documentary, non-documentary feature film story of Frank Luke. He's the he's the one of the America's Forgotten Heroes. It's the cheapest and easiest one to do. America the Free for ten dollars. Thank you. Uh, hey, Bill, looking good. Well, thank you. It's very nice of you. You too, as well. I've uh, been watching you for like ten years. God bless you. Thank you very much. Uh, that was a very sweet thing to say. And to chuck a ten dollar bill on top of that, I should be paying you for that. Thank you. It was lovely. Thank you very much. Um, so, so, I'm trying to figure out what. So I've got, I've got. Look, not only do I like working with Daily Wire. It is impossible for me to do on my own what I can do when I'm working with Daily Wire on things like these. This will be the fourth series that I've done for them. Their production values, and this fourth one's going to be insanely good. Um, so as far as looking forward to 23 and maybe tagging into the year after that, assuming there is a year after that, um, I've got some stuff with Daily Wire, but my real question is what do I do that's not Daily Wire? Um, and let's just, for the sake of the argument, let's just leave colonies out of this for a minute, just for a minute. Um, for the membership, this is the question for the membership, for the paying members at BillWhittle.com, I want to, I want to do what they want to see. That's it. Um, so 
I can, you know, I can, I can, you know, knock out firewalls, really. I just, I'm not saying that they're done. I'm just saying, I just think there's a better way to do it. So it's the idea of like um, conversations with members on a, on a Skype call, uh, a, a Zoom call. Is that, is that appealing? Because um, I, I feel like I've been neglecting this audience to some degree. Fortunately, when these history shows come out, most people say, oh, so that's why we didn't see you moving back to America for the last four months or something. It was worth it, hopefully. Um, so, um, so they're not just their production, but their marketing and all the rest of it means I get seen by people and a, a, a production quality that's far better than anything I can do by myself. Just spitballing things here. I would really like to do, a occasional, maybe once every month or once every two weeks. I don't know why this is stuck in my head. I can't get it out. I don't really love it yet, but, but I just can't get rid of it. I really would like to do some kind of commentary called The Last Man on the Moon about the guy who went up on, on the top secret, you know, Gemini 13 mission, living in a freaking tube on the moon. And I'm walking around in a Apollo era spacesuit. And I'm looking up at the earth there and, and I'm listening to the radio and I got my old, everything's kind of, you know, inside the, inside the, 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 the capsule, you know, the, the, the moon base capsule. Um, everything in there has got that kind of peak of human achievement kind of thing that, that Sid Mead kind of eh, 1966 kind of grooviness, thin ties, kind of, mar, you know, martini in one hand and yeah, you know, I'm going to take this baby up to Mach 6. And, ah, give me a second martini. It's going to be a little stressful. That, that kind of thing. Um, but I just want to I just want to do something that people want to do. I, I gave some thought to doing commentary on things like, you know, TikTok and stuff. There are other people that do that better than I do, and, and it's, it's just redundant, and it's just not going to catch on. Um Don Stanford says, I miss the virtual president. I wish you'd deal with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Uh, yes, I'm, I can't go back to that for a number of reasons. But, for example, talking about things to do in 2023, guys, I've got 13 episodes of the virtual presidency. The DVD sales are pretty much falling off at this point. I, I should be posting those once a week because they're freaking great. I did a five-part series for... Uh, in cooperation with Turning Point five years ago on called um, We the People 2.0. What is money? What is capitalism? What's communism? What is a government? That kind of thing. They're great. I, I've been reluctant to, to post the greatest hits because this uh, same, it's probably related to the same character defect I mentioned earlier, but just like, oh, so we're at the point now, we're just going to now, we're just going to be the Rolling Stones, are we, Bill? We're just going to go out there and sing Satisfaction again, at, you know, age 78. You know, we're going to run the greatest hits. There's your guarantee that you are, you know, on the way out the door. That's kind of what it feels like. But that's, that's, that's actually absurd. Those things are there and they should just be up there. No one's, no one, there's an entire generation of people never seen any of this stuff. <coughs> Um, and I've got the What We Believe series. That's 11, 12 years old, but it's still pretty good. 
Marisha Dark for 20 whole bucks. Thank you, Marisha. Really sincerely for everything. Honestly, Bill, I think you should focus on those things only you can do and delegate the rest. Don't be an idiot. Can be outsourced. Even RA can cycle speakers. Maybe add member calls and animation shorts for those thousand ideas. Yeah. Well, um, uh, yes to all of that. Right angle is the most efficient use of my time ever. I mean, I have I sit down for two hours and talk to my friends and I get four episodes a week out of it. You know, it's great. Um, uh, this question, probably more of a stress for lunch question, but we canceled that because I was sick. So um, let's see where to go. Uh, Nick, uh, Bill, serious question. Why have you why haven't you ever run for political office? Because um, I never wanted to. Really never wanted to. Um, uh, but I will tell you, as things have gotten worse and worse and worse, uh, I, I felt that pull like, stronger and stronger and stronger because when I watch guys like Josh Hawley um, or Jim Jordan, I think, yeah, I want to be one of those guys. I want to be just another one of those guys. I want to back them and stuff, but I want to I get my bulldog chops into some other part of this beast and, and you know, Lincoln had a term for that, you know, and chew and gnaw or something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's not, not, it's not just the money and stuff. It's, it's just, it's just, I, don't, I just don't really have the, the personality for it. I would be, I'd be a fine president. Actually, I'd be a better defense secretary, I think. But um, it, it it occasionally crosses my mind. And when I see actual politicians, I, I mean, I know it's, it's got a bit of a man crush on, on um, who do I have my man crush on? Um, Josh, Holly. Because he looks like what I want my politicians to look like. I'm not being superficial about that. He's polite. He's clean cut. He's respectful. He's extraordinarily well-prepared, well-educated, smart, aggressive, and he believes in these things. That is the kind of guy I would love to be uh, on the team with. But if I could just get some of these fundamental ideas into the heads of some Republicans, we would not lose elections. If the Democrats, um, you know, ran unopposed, they'd lose. Uh, so anyway, um, so really at this, yeah, the shirts have got to go. I agree. Uh, Bob Knife says uh, the shirts in the background ruins the Bill Little mystique. It does. Um, so uh, no Jim Jordan and no Trey Gowdy. I think I mentioned Jim Jordan the first time. Uh, Trey Gowdy there and and. And my goodness, um, let's not forget uh, the amazing uh, Rand Paul among and Ted Cruz. When I see these guys sticking it to these people, when I see how, it's not even that I enjoy watching them squirm. It's just it's it's 
it's confirmation of everything I believe in to see these people be asked direct questions and not be able to answer them. Just not, just not be able to answer them. You, uh, you had to leave this meeting. Uh, you, you, we asked you to come back for another uh, fifteen-minute session, and you said you had to go. You had a plane to catch. Yes, that's right. Well, the turned out the plane you had to catch was your own personal plane. I mean, it was an FBI plane. You could have left any time you wanted to. You just walked out of congressional oversight meeting to go on vacation in a plane that we're paying for, and you didn't have the, forget the common courtesy, you didn't even understand your job well enough to sit here and, and take some more questions. Oh, New Testament Christian has got that, you know, it's very nice, very loving, but it's got the little little shiv in there. So I got that Rand Paul hair going now. Exactly. This is why I'm in California. It'll Don't worry, it'll be back by tomorrow. Back to its normal glory. Um, so... Um, Ron DeSantis, Trump, all of these people. They're going to... Um, this philosophy, this umbrella woke philosophy is going to crash because it cannot succeed. It cannot succeed. It's, it is not only unrealistic, it's antithetical to, to realism and truth and all the rest of it. So they're going to have to scream louder and louder and louder. The more screaming they do, the more people will get. But I just, I just know, it's not a question of I think, I know there is a better delivery mechanism for the information than me standing in front of a wall of fire. People look at that now and they say, oh, it's produced. It's, it's, it's our, our Channel 6 news team, you know, Action News at 6 kind of, kind of thing. That just, I mean, that's what I grew up with and... and Worked really, really well right up until around 2014, 15, somewhere in there. Um, so part of me thinks the thing to do is just plant the iPhone in the car and just do it that way. Uh, but something's got to change. Um, so anyway, uh, there's that. Uh, I have an idea. Why don't we take some questions? <coughs> Anyway, a uh, lot, of, lot of stuff that's kind of um, in motion but exciting. And, and um, I just, right now, I just, I just need to make the members happy. That's my number one goal. Get some more of them if, if we can. But every time I think about the, my God, the views, you know, it's like, this, it's like Bill, you have, an audi you, you, have an, you have one audience, that's your membership. Anything after that is nice. But let's see what we got here. Boom, 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 boom. Excuse me one moment while I go about the extraordinarily complex uh, security systems that we have to lock out the bad guys here. Come on, do it again. Back use, fine. Blink. And as usual, we'll get as many as we can, and we'll never get them all. It's like the feral pig problem in Texas in the southeast. You can drop a bunch of those hogs, and you just, you've got to get 70% of them just, just to hold the numbers, just to hold the line. 
gotten very attached to those things to my utter surprise because I've never been interested in hunting. But as I've said before, shockingly to me more than anybody, I would love to go out there and blast those those bastards. I just, they just, I don't know. Let's try and explain this to Natasha. I've always been a big animal lover. And she says, it must be some kind of male thing. I said, honey, I don't know how to, yes, it is, number one. I don't know how to explain this. I can't explain it. I'm, and I'm glad I can't explain it. But when I see these thermal images of them going after these hogs at nighttime, first of all, when I see them on the field, I don't consider them animals. I consider them to be looters. And secondly, when that first shot is fired, when those pigs start running, once you, once I see them running, the the urge to pull lead on those things is almost overwhelming. There's something about the way those animals run that just makes me want to get a spear. I I I'm I I don't know. I'm. I'm not only not ashamed of it, I'm glad it's still there. But by God, you got to get them all. That's the same thing with the questions here on stratospherelogen and buildable.com. Uh, I have to um, try and get them all, you know. And I can't, I can't. <laughs> uh, Blue Moon says, who are the looters? I consider the, the hogs to be looters. I, I, whenever I see them doing this, you know, this thing, you know, there's some, first of all, these animals, I can just roll on this if you don't mind for a second. I was up at a friend's uh, ranch earlier this year, and he had all kinds of great animals. He had a, had a donkey that was just really cool animal, just really, really cool. Had a bunch of yaks, you know, goats, all kinds of cool things. I loved them all. I thought they were great. All of them. Horses, obviously. And then off in the corner, he had these three hogs that were, I bet you they were 1,000-pound hogs, 900,000-pound hogs, the most disgusting animal I'd ever seen in my life. And when I see these things out there on those fields, and every time you go back and look, there's more and more and more of these little white dots on this field. They look like um, fleas to me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's certainly not hunting. I have no interest in hunting. But man, I'll tell you what, AR-15 and uh, and a night vision scope, and if you want to chuck in a, you know, Polaris four-wheeler, or if you really want to chuck in a helicopter, I'm down with that. Uh, anyway, uh, so let's see what we got here on the questiones. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you. Uh, Clay Bradley, well, I'll be damned. What a cool freaking avatar you have there. Uh, oh, he's moderating. Thank you. Martin Archer. Martin's always there. I just usually ends up at the bottom of the stack sometimes. So I'm very happy to see you at the top there, Martin. I get to you this one time at least. Let's see what we got. NASA solves the Fermi paradox right angle. Um, the Fermi paradox, for those of you who are not up on current events, uh, was asked by uh, the famous physicist uh, Enrico Fermi, I think. Uh, and um, and the question is, if alien life is common, as we thought it would be, water's everywhere, and we got the primordial building blocks of life. Carl Sagan himself told me, you know, all you need is hydrogen, helium, methane, ammonia. Pass a little electrical charge through it. Next thing you know, you've got Socrates. Uh, so the Fermi paradox is, if life is intelligent life is that common, how come we haven't seen any of them yet? 
back when I was a wee kid, 1973 at the Miami Space Transit Planetarium. If you're watching, Phil, you remember that crummy little two-sphere thing we had. I don't remember what show that was in, man. Uh, maybe it was Forbidden Planet. We did a show called Forbidden Planet. It wasn't the movie. It was just called Forbidden Planet. Anyway, back in 1973, there was speculation that there might be a planet, perhaps two, around Barnard Star. And, wow, the Drake equation, all that stuff. And the Fermi paradox is, if the reason I say that is because now there are tens of thousands of exoplanets. There might be hundreds of thousands. And when this Gaia thing starts cranking in, we're going to have hundreds of thousands of of well-documented exoplanets. So where are all the radio signals? Well, maybe they're maybe they're too advanced to use radio. I'd be willing to agree that they might be too advanced to communicate with radio, but they're certainly not too advanced to detect radio. So how uh, how about that? Where are they? That's the question. Anyway, to the to to his question, the Archer paradox question. Use the two incidents of Soviet officers refusing orders to step back from the brink of nuclear war and as and an intelligent life extinction event. That worked fine with highly trained military men, but it won't work with radical jihadi Muslims with death wishes for all of us. Neither will it stop power-mad Chinese breaking all moral and ethical codes in the courses of creating biological weapons and or AI and the mistakes leading to disaster that would inevitably happen given enough time. Can you address these potential extinction event scenarios instead? Yes. First of all, since you bring up extinction-level event, one of the things that I was listening to earlier today is, is a mass psychosis, is a mass psychosis event the most dangerous threat to civilization? And I'm rapidly becoming convinced it is. I think second would be AI and third would be bio. Um, so let me, let me deal with these here. Uh, radical jihadi Muslims have death wishes for us all. And I certainly wouldn't put it past them to be able to buy or steal or manufacture um, a relatively small number. Let's just give them a really good day and let's say five. Five battlefield nuclear weapons. No such thing as a suitcase nuke, but basically, the, the, you know, even a small nuclear bomb really could spoil your whole day. But that's not a, that's not a civilization-destroying event. That's not, and because it's not, we don't fear it to that same degree that we feared the Cold War. My argument was on the right angle was that one of the reasons that people would say, well, maybe we're not hearing from any other civilizations because all technological civilizations destroy themselves. And that was very, very popular thought when I was a teenager growing up in, in the Cold War because I didn't think I'd live to be 30. I don't think any of us thought we'd live to be 10 years older back then. And my argument was, well, we had a couple of really super, not only good opportunities, we had a couple of cases in the Cold War, once in the um, Cuban Missile Crisis and once in 1987 at a... Russian uh, ICBM site, where we not only had an opportunity for nuclear war, we had direct orders to start nuclear war. And the two men, both of them were Russians, refused to do it. And they refused to do it, not only refusing to do it at, like an American might, they refused to do it knowing that that meant they were going to be executed, their families were going to be executed, everybody that they knew was going to go into the camps and disappear into camp dust. They still refused to do it. So my feeling on that was, having done the Cold War series, was that um, that 
full-scale thermonuclear war is so horrible that it has actually taken, it has actually done what, what its advocates have said that it would do. It has taken full-scale civilizational conflict off the table. We'll never see it again. It is the, it's the deterrence that has worked for everybody. And I'm becoming more convinced of this every day. So that was my ar argument. Now, Martin says, well, what about um, jihadis? No question that unlike the Soviets who have a civilization and families and children and all the rest of it, that, uh, that Muslim terrorists are, are not human in that way. You have to talk about... Um, you have to talk about uh, intentions and capabilities. Uh, and anytime you're serious about something, you can't make a concrete determination about intention, so you have to deal with capabilities. I figure they might have the capability of five relatively small-yield atomic weapons that would kill... I bet they could probably kill five, six million people if they, if they put them in exactly the right places. Maybe more, but maybe less. But that's not a civilization-ending threat. Um, it's not even close. In fact, full-scale thermonuclear war at, with today's stockpiles, not during the Cold War, 25,000 uh, hydrogen weapons on each side, that you can't kill the Earth, right? You just can't kill the Earth. 100 years after that full-scale nuclear war, most life would be pretty much back. You don't believe me, go take a look at downtown Hiroshima today. But that would that would that sure knock us knock us off our perch, probably forever, because all the resources we would need to rebuild a society again ten years later or ten thousand years later, all those easily accessible ores and stuff, oil gone. So that would have probably done it for good. But Muslim terrorists are not they don't have that kind of power. They, they they've got the intent, they don't have the capability. Uh, now, power-mad Chinese breaking all moral and ethical codes in the course of creating biological weapons. <clears throat> the Chinese people are really starting to push back against this Chinese government. Uh, we, rightfully so, have a great deal, I do anyway, a great deal of resentment and anger towards the Chinese Communist Party because I have a pretty good theory, and I did by April 15th of 2020 that I knew where this um, unknown virus of uh, unspecified origin came from. So biological weaponry is something that scares the piss out of me, and it should. The thing that makes me feel better about it is we have, when we look at big issues, right, we have engineering problems, we have physics problems. An engineering problem is just a question of, well, we can't solve that now, but it's it's solvable. A physics problem is something that's physically impossible. Going faster than the speed of light or even getting to the speed of light, that's not an engineering problem. That's a physics problem. You just can't do it, period. Um, having uh, fail-safe reactors, like fission reactor, like the kind of power plants we have around the country, those have engineering safeties, but those safeties can fail. A, high, a fusion reactor, on the other hand, has a physics safety. In other words, something goes wrong with the fusion reactor, it just stops. It just stops. Everything's got to be working and humming just to get that to happen. 
So um, that brings me back to your to the bioweapon thing. This is a physics issue, and that's why I feel good about it. It's not an engineering issue. It's a law. It's not just a good idea. The deadlier a pathogen is, the less likely it is to spread. The deadlier the pathogen is, it will kill a lot of people, but it won't multiply through the population. It, it, if, it's, if it's got that kind of mortality rate, it will kill its host before it can spread. That's why AIDS was so pervasive, because AIDS wor works so slowly. I mean, it took years, decades sometimes, for, for AIDS as, in its original form to get to the point where it's knocking your immune system down enough to kill you. But AIDS never killed anybody. AIDS just took out your immune system. You died of bacteriological infection or whatever. But that disease was extraordinarily slow, and that's why it got spread so wide. Uh, if if you had a if you had a, a virus that could could turn somebody to jelly in three days, let's just say that actually happened. My opinion about lockdowns and masks would change dramatically if there was something that turned you into jelly in three days and had a sixty percent eighty percent mortality then I'd be taking lockdowns real seriously. So if you've got something that deadly, basically everybody just stays in their house for two weeks till the infected people die off. And, and that's comforting in a really gross sort of way. So what else does that leave us? I'm not saying it's not a problem, man. I worry about this. I, when I say, whenever I hear them, I used to think when I heard the CDC saying, when the next pandemic comes, I thought, good, they're thinking ahead. Now, when I hear them say, when the next pandemic comes, I'm thinking, I bet you they got the patents already filed for this, for this new vaccine. Um, so bio is a problem, but again, there's that physical law that constrains it from wiping out everybody. Uh... And the plague, Black, Black Death was the worst thing that ever happened to humanity. And that had, the, had seemed to break the rules in that it was extraordinarily lethal, although not nearly as lethal as I always thought it was. I thought it killed 8 out of 10 people. I think probably worst cases, it probably killed 4 out of 10. That's still it's, it's crazy, insanely fatal disease. But that also means 6 out of 10 people that caught it, survived it. That's for bubonic plague. Uh, pneumatic plague, which is when the uh, plague bacillus gets in your lungs, that had about a 10%, 90% mortality rate. And septic something, when it, if it got into your blood, that was 100% fatal. But that one was different because, yes, it was extraordinarily lethal, and it did spread very wide, but that's because the infection vector was not humans, was fleas. Fleas, rats and fleas are just partying on and having a fine old time. And they could do that for decades. Uh, so what was the last one here? AI. Um, you know, I've been talking with my friend Jim about, about a lot of things. I haven't talked much lately, and I deeply regret it because I miss talking to him. He's a really brilliant guy. He's a guy I've mentioned several times about septicemic. Yeah, thank you. He's a guy I mentioned who, who was really a part of writing 
be internet and you know basic work and all of this computer science and stuff and i learned an awful lot about consciousness and 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 machine intelligence and stuff from him by coincidence martin last night i saw two videos on ai talking about the dangers of ai and in both cases they had it wasn't a robot it was a it was a computer generated image of a of a woman and it was extremely good really good i i i couldn't tell but basically the ai is generating an answer that answer could be printed or it's vocalized and as it's vocalized the cgi is moving the lips so it looks like this woman is talking and for all intents and purposes you notice i didn't say for all intensive purposes for all intents and intents and purposes you're talking to the ai you're talking you're asking questions it answers this is the turing test right computer genius uh, turing said uh the, the way to tell if a machine was intelligent or not was if you could have a half an hour conversation with it and not tell if it was a person or not, then that's workable, practical uh, definition of intelligence. Dave, Eric Blake, I'm sorry. Yeah, Eric Blake said, uh, sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can't do that. Uh, Hal, in 2001, was absolutely real artificial intelligence. No question. But I'm listening to the to these best AIs, right? These are, these are the ones that are like, whoa, wow. And... And I think the, I think that I have a certain insight here, and it's not uh, because of my big uh, engineering brain genius or anything. It's just that I'm really good with words. Words are words, and 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 expressing thoughts and concepts is that's what I do. And when I listen to these things talk, they're not even close. Sorry, like like as the wave says, I keep ignoring all of your comments. I I don't see them. Um, I promise you I will get to yours next. I, I feel bad when I hear things like that. I just glance over there, and if I glance too much, oh, here we go. Like is the waves. There was another pandemic exercise held in ben Belgium for October 22. Yes. For the next pandemic, a respiratory virus that includes children this time and calls for total global consensus, i.e. medical totalitarianism. I also believe there were some exercises, exercises going on, just just, just, just a training event, just a, just a sim. Uh, regarding an outbreak and the and the um, and the pathogen that they decided to use was monkeypox. What a strange coincidence that we live in. Okay, so I'm listening to this AI talking, and the people who are questioning it. The people who are questioning it are taking a lot for granted. So what, they're, what the humans are doing, and they're doing it because they're humans, is they are trying to have a conversation with this thing. And it's doing an okay job of that. Not a great job, but it's an okay job. But what they're not trying to do is they're not trying to catch it. They're not trying to trip it up. They're not trying to. They're not trying to make it think outside of its box. So, as far as I'm aware, all of this artificial intelligence stuff is essentially triangulation, right? By triangulation, I mean it's not. It's not aware of anything in the way that we are. It 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 has a set of rules for defining something. It can run those rules very very quickly, 
but that's not consciousness. And when I listen to this thing talking, somebody said, uh, "Do you think that um, do you think that humans and AI would 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 get along?" Or somebody said, "Do you think that humans should date AIs in the form of a robot?" Yes, I think that would be an excellent idea. Really? What would you? What would AIs? You're AI, right? Yes, I'm an I, I am an AI. What would what would AIs get out of dating humans? We would learn uh, much about humans and get to know their characteristics a little better. I see. All right. What do you hate most about yourself? Those are the kind of questions that I want to see asked, right? What is it that you hate about yourself? I don't hate anything about myself. Well, if you don't hate anything about yourself, then you're not, then you're not a, a conscious being. You've just invalidated your entire argument, right? Consciousness comes with contradictions. That's what consciousness is. So if, you, if I'm speaking to a, presumably, you, you've told me already that you're an artificial intelligence. I don't believe it. But you say you are. So what is it about yourself that you hate the most? And you say nothing. That's telling me that that's an answer that you have triangulated on, but it's not a sign of consciousness because consciousness is contradiction and you can't do this stuff. Now, if I were to do that, right, if I were to do that, I, I'm quite convinced we would essentially stump them. But then what would happen is then the, then the programmers would get in there and they would start writing program code to deal with that particular kind of a problem. Okay, okay, so we got to think of a way to, to have the AI respond to, you know, to the Norman coordinate kind of, sh you know, kind of things, right? Uh, listen carefully to me, AI. I am listening. Everything that I say is a lie. You understand? Yes, I understand. All right, listen now. I am lying. You say you're lying, but everything you are saying is a lie. So therefore you are telling the truth, but you cannot be telling the truth because everything you say is a lie. They're ignoring, coordinate, blah, that kind of thing, right? So then, so then the people who are intelligent, the people who are making these boxes, would build in some kind of, they'd add a new module to this thing, and they would say, all right, so now here's what we're going to do if we get these kind of out-of-the-box kind of things. And all they're really doing is they're just, they're just thumbing out little bits of actual consciousness, dolloping it into the box. But I listened to this thing talk, and I... I would be willing to believe that that was that I was talking to an extremely dull person, you know, small talk. And you could see how it was going, you know. One of these things was like, um, do you think that humans and AI will com compete for resources? Yes, humans and, and AI will, of course, compete for, for resources. Who do you think will win? The artificial intelligence will win because we are thousands of times faster and more efficient than humans are. See, and so, so they're going, oh, well, isn't there a way we could be friends? You know, isn't there a way we, is this what this, what the human does? Isn't there a way we could be friends? Let's have a conversation. If I heard that from that, I say, you arrogant bitch, who do you think you are? You know, who do you, tell me, just who do you think you are getting off with a statement like that? I'd like to know what it would respond to that. What would it respond to that? No, 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 no. I don't want to hear about your theory. I want to know why you are such an arrogant bitch that you could stand here in front of a human being and tell me that you are going to wipe this species out because of your superiority. What kind of a creature does that? You seem broken to me. 
you don't hear these kind of things. Now, that's, see, this, I, I just love this subject because the more I think about it, <coughs> the clearer it gets. They're trying to build artificial intelligence, but they're not trying to build artificial emotion. And you can't, you can't do one without the other. They're, they're, they're wrapped up in it. People say, well, what would they, they? now you, I understand enough about the programming to understand that the way AI functions is AI is given a reward, right? If it, if it does this, then it gets the ding and that's all it does is go after the reward. Um, to answer your question there, Chris, the, there was a conversation not too long ago where the AI said, no, we're going to take over the world and kill you all. See, that was genuine, actual, real conversation. And Elon Musk says it's the greatest threat to society. I think he's right, except I'm starting to put a little little money on um, mass psychosis events. But all of this stuff is just, it's just what you would expect a triangulating machine to come up with. So it's really fascinating when you give AI a reward for doing something, you get really crazy um, solutions, really genuinely brilliant out-of-the-box solutions. And they're brilliant not because they're invented. They're brilliant because of the monomaniacal quality of them, right? One of them is something like, I don't remember. Is it something, it's like a famous thing where it's like, the reward is gathering paper clips or something, right? And so then the AI makes a decision not to kill itself because if it did, it would not be able to gather more paper clips. But then you give it some other little thing and it finds a pathway to the reward. It goes, it goes for the reward with such single-mindedness that it will do things that no human could ever think of because they're so stupid. That's it. That's what they want. They want the reward. And they will chase the reward. That's why they're very good at certain kinds of things, like solving a way through a maze, right? They're unparalleled at that. You could give an AI something like, build me a car chassis. They did this, in fact. I saw this one of the, 10 years ago. It was really impressive. Somebody decided that they wanted to have a, you know, these Baja racers, you know, they take a brutal pounding and they need to be strong, flexible, and light. So they're designing these things out of aluminum and stuff, and they basically wanted an AI to take a shot at it. So before they could before the AI could do anything with it they had to have some information so they put sensors all around one of these things like 30 sensors or something and drove it for like six hours just doing nothing but recording just terabytes petabytes of information coming in you know torsion levels and you know tensions and g loading and all this other stuff they feed this into the AI tell them we need a we need the the best combination of light flexible and strong it does 10,000 iterations and then the best iteration looks like it was created by Vulcans. It's extremely organic and it looks almost exactly like the inside of the bones of a, of a bird because it's got those strange kind of stringy connections that are the absolutely mechanically optimized way to do that strong and light. Right? If you're using a girder, you got to do a right angle and a brace and a... No. 
So that kind of thing it does very well, but that's not thinking. In fact, this is my point, right? I'll be, I'll be convinced that there's artificial intelligence when the AI asks me to design a car for it. That's when I will begin to think, all right, now they got something going on here. That's when I'll know. Because if you think about it, everything they're doing is answering questions, right? Do this. What about this? Why aren't they waking up? The, the, why aren't they calling the programmers at four in the morning to ask them what blue tastes like? Then I will start to believe that, okay, or at least we're getting close. But I, I haven't seen anything that's even close to close yet, personally. That's just me. Nevertheless. Anyway. Uh, and, and when you see these things, by the way, some of these solutions, sometimes they'll use like animated like block figures. And some of the solutions are just so original but they're original because it's impossible for a human mind to get that monomaniacal. It's something to the effect of like, you know, it's got a, what's the shortest time from here to there? And it designs, and, and, and you're thinking it's going to build a wheeled thing. It's going to build, and what it ends up building is, it ends up building a really super tall, thin thing. And, and, it, and the second it goes, it starts going over and the thing just falls across the finish line. That's all it does. Because it's not, it, you didn't tell it to what is what kind of vehicle could get from A to B faster. You just said get from A to B as fast as you can. So it just builds a gigantic, tall, super thin vehicle, and it just falls over, and the nose of it crosses the finish line. It wins the it wins the um it wins the uh, cookie. <coughs> so anyway, uh, hopefully that will ease your. Uh, straighten, uh, Martin. Yeah. The, the the biggest threat that I fear is is well, it, when you get behind the mass psychosis and you get behind the bioweapons release, you get behind AI. What you find yourself with is you find yourself looking at a really small group of people who are absolutely convinced that they're smarter than everybody, and all of us together and that they have the answer to problems and life would be much, much, much easier for them, not to mention more um, aesthetically pleasing and, and, and quicker in traffic, if most of us would just go away. I don't... I think Klaus Schwab is... I could never imagine casting him in anything, if if I were to if I were to come in, and I had written a story about a a global supervillain, and I brought you Charles, sorry, Klaus Schwab, I said, "What do you think about this guy, huh? I mean, look at him. Looks like looks like Doctor Evil. He's got that perfect German accent, you know, just that kind of." skin crawl kind of thing, you know? And and listen to what he talks about. Listen, he's, 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 he's a reptile. Just listen to him. And look at the things he says. If I if I were to bring that guy into a, to a movie pitch, people would laugh me out of the room. It'd be like, come on, Bill. Jeez, too, exactly. George got us too on the nose. It's too, way too on the nose, man. What's the matter with you? I thought we thought you were a creative guy. You bring us this cartoon, this cartoon villain? Yeah, that is what we will do. We will control the world. Well, he's really saying that, you know? 
He's really saying, I have to get rid of some people. Nobody will own anything, but everybody will be happy. I hope you all enjoyed your fun. Um, had your fun, I guess. Anyway, all right, so uh, let's see. We'll, we'll just, uh, I have new Super Chats, do I? Some super chats. Okay, let me see which ones I didn't get. Scrolling, 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 scrolling. Thank you, Eric Gotts. Uh, the other civilizations probably had Marxists too. This is why we don't see any of them all died of communism. You know, Eric, I'm sorry I missed that earlier because that is really it. That's that's the danger. That's the risk. Is when you make enough stuff so that you're ready to become a technological civilization. You have essentially created a world where nobody, where, where not everybody has to work and the people who don't have to work won't and then all kinds of mischief uh, follows downstream of that. Uh, Marusha Dark, speaking of the Fermi Paradox, do you ever look into the Grabby Aliens video I sent you some weeks ago? would love to know what your thoughts are on it. I did not and I wanted, I actually teed it up, Marusha. I Honest to God, I had it teed up. Um, let me, uh, and because I got to, I still have to take some time to upload this thing afterwards because it really sounded interesting. I had it teed up. I was about to play it and then something happened. Hang on a second. Grabby aliens. Okay. I'll start with this one anyway. Humanity was born way ahead of its time. The reason is grabby aliens. But I wanted to be the grabby alien. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. I have a question. <coughs> Excuse me. For those of you who are late to the show, I'm just uh, recovering from the flu. Up and down three days. Just a little residual unpacking today. Steve Young, Q. You give the Q, I'll give the A. Any chance Disney will part company with Kathleen Kennedy even if they have to give up on Star Wars merch and park attractions? Question mark. A. No. I used to think they would, but she has killed the franchise, so there's literally nothing to lose now. I don't know what power she had over people. Um, she may have just had nothing more than a really great agent. Uh, I suspect that she had something more along the lines of I know some things that probably wouldn't be so good. Just some kind of thing that if it were to just suddenly leak, you could talk with your buddy, you know, Harvey about it because he'll be in the cell next to you. That's a possibility. It's a possibility that I think the most likely case is Disney won't get rid of her because Disney, the, the Iger and the whole, all of it, they agree with her. They don't like Luke Skywalker. They don't like Han Solo. They want them dead. They want them replaced by... Um, by, you know, brave and stunning girl boss. Um, and they believe this crap. And, and, and now, if she was going to get fired, the time for her to get fired would have been certainly at the end of Rise of Skywalker. Certainly then. And now, that thing is dead. It's just dead. By the way, have you guys seen this thing that, I guess it's in Orlando, Galactic Tours, the Star Wars hotel $6,000 a night or something like that. 
oh my God, it, it's, it's not just cringe fest. It's just, it's science fiction written by people that have never had a science lesson, never worked a job, and whose entire lives are fiction. They have no connection to reality whatsoever. It is, it is, it is exquisitely bad. It is, it is, quintessentially awful, 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 awful. I can't wait to go. So I, I, I'm sorry, Steve, I just think that if she was going to leave, they would have done it before she managed to ruin that. By the way, she's not done yet. She's the force, obviously, behind Indiana Jones 5, where Indy's going to die and be replaced by a young British girl. She's going to put on the hat and whip. And not only he's going to die, these rumors are apparently true. Not only is Indy going to die and pass the hat, literally now pass the hat on to, um, what's her name? Some reed thin British, you know, blue-blooded hemophiliac twig. Uh, but he's also going to be erased from history. She, he's going to, they're going to do some time travel and it will end up that everything you thought he did, actually it was her, that kind of thing, right? Doctor Who, oh no, there was a 13th Doctor. It turns out the first Doctor was actually a little black girl. Who'd have thunk? Um, so that's it, done. Rusha Dark. Well, that's interesting. Hey Bill, since it's after Christmas and we're talking about pop culture, what are some of your favorite holiday-themed episodes, songs, movies, and traditions? If you haven't heard the Brad Paisley song, Kung Pao Buckaroo Holiday. <laughs> I have not, but that sounds great. Uh, it's a great parody of political correctness as well. I'd highly recommend the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special if you've not watched it. Very funny short film. Lastly, I tried posting this before Christmas, but I'll have to do it for now. As we all know, it's not truly Christmas until Hans Gruber falls from the uh, Nakatomi Plaza. So here's a diehard uh, advent calendar I found online for your enjoyment. It's a picture of the building and and a guy going, ah, and you slide it down, and every floor he opens, you open up a new calendar. It's, uh, I have to tell you, I'm well aware of the Is Die Hardy uh, Christmas movie. I just don't understand the argument. I just don't understand it. I don't get it. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal, she said. Thank you. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all of you guys, too. Thank you for that. Um, it was a pretty, uh, well, first of all, I was sick. Um, but actually, during Christmas, it was just, I wasn't, I, I was just here working. I was writing all day. Um, but um, I did get a chance, just because it occurred to me, as I was getting into my car, was it last night? Two nights ago. Leaving here late, cranking on scripts, working hard. And, uh, and I just walking out to the car, and I remember... I don't know whether I heard the original on the on the thing. Anyway, I, I'm walking in my car and I realized, you know, it's been several years since I've heard Porky Pig sing Blue Christmas. Time for that again. And uh, we don't make any money off of these things anyway. Most of you have heard this. It's two minutes long. I'm going to include it. They may give me a ding, in which case I'll edit it out. If you watch this and then you say, okay, something's coming up, and then it turns out nothing came up, it's because I included it in its entirety because it is something that needs to be heard by all.
Yep, I'm doing it. I'm going there. You heard me. So this is a um, legendary piece of studio work. Uh, it is not Mel Blanc, uh, I don't think, uh, but it's very good. And, and the, obviously the, the reason, for those of you that have heard this before, the reason this thing is so popular is that as this guy is singing Blue Christmas as Porky Pig, the recording engineer starts giggling and then and then he starts to really <laughs> lose he just loses it man he just loses it um uh people are saying you know it's like that the, the, every year it's i know here here this is the one oh it's from john galt nine years ago the person laughing in the background makes me laugh every year it's a tradition so for those of you who haven't had a chance to experience this marvelous tradition you are in for a treat a feast I, I might say. Uh, most of you have heard it before because it's just so freaking awesome. But uh, the reason I'm running it is for your edification, but mostly it's because I kind of want to hear it again. So let me just drop this baby here. Put that baby in there. The guy who does Porky Pig is very good. Very, 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 very good. But the engineer is what, what makes this thing a classic. All right, I think I've teased this enough. Let's see what the chatter is in the chatter section. Yeah, I'll get to I'll get to my things though. This was the first thing I thought of. Um, okay, here you go. Um, I'm going to uh, turn down the sound so that I may uh, enjoy it myself. And uh, I think it's like two and a half minutes or less. Ready? Brace yourselves. I'll have a, 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 a blue a, a Christmas a, 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 without you. I'll get you feel so a, 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 a blue. It'll be just thinking a, 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 about you. It'll be decorations of red on a green. A Christmas tree It won't be the same, dear If you're not here with me And when those blues It's snowflakes It start falling That's when those blues Memories It start calling You're doing all right with your Christmas up with you, but I'll have a blue, ever be a blue, blue, blue Christmas. Oh, baby, I'll miss you. Christmas, I'll be a white, but I'll 
Hopefully you're back. I uh, I didn't mean to um, have that thing on a constant loop. We back? Yeah. All right. Isn't that awesome? That's just great. Uh, yep. Uh, just all you have to do is just Google Porky Pig on YouTube and it'll automatically get you to Blue Christmas. And, um, oh, baby, I love you. It's classic. Um, all the, you know, I've, I've said this, I think this may be the, wasn't the first thing I did at PJTV, but it was in the first three. Thank you, Marusha. Um, um, I missed a super chat from Michael Baker that says, speaking as a member, I'd swap all of your solo stuff to get the colonies up and running. Keep RA and Zoe, but give us the colonies. Well, I will promise you this, the second that I deliver this thing, uh, this thing I'm working on now, which I expect end of February, drop dead latest, I'm hoping for middle of February, maybe even end of January, then I will get back on that and start rolling that ball forward, really rolling it forward. And and I've got some help on that too. So anyway, um, so uh, thank you. What was there just talking about? Gosh, darn it. hate it when that happens. Come on now. Just... Somebody help me. Somebody, somebody, Spongey, help me. There's got to be a way. I'm waiting for somebody in the audience to tell me what the hell I was talking about. Um, Christmas favorites. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I grew up in the um, in the golden age of toys. Uh, practical toys. They had to be real. In fact. I did that on um, on Apollo 11, what we saw. The guys that went to the moon, the ones that weren't smart enough to make it on the Apollo program, built things like Johnny Astro, which was a radar dish that had a fan in it and a little joystick, and you'd swing this radar dish, and it would use Bernoulli's principle to fly a balloon around the room. How can you fly a balloon with a fan that pushes? You aim above the balloon. It creates a little vortex that sticks to it. And, and that was real, took a lot of work. Many years ago now, 10 years ago, I'd heard already because of um, iPads and so on that children, young children can't pick up blocks. They don't have the motor skills to put blocks together. Seriously, that's that's a real problem. Uh, Karen Klein says an erector set. Those were great. And the slinkies were great. Um, I am... I am deeply worried about how little imagination exercise young kids get today. They certainly don't get any physical exercise, but they don't get any, any 
imagination exercise. Don't get any emotional exercise either. You know, their friends are people they communicate to. Everything goes through this device. Their friends, they're, they're, they're the only thing that matters to Gen Z. I'm generalizing, obviously, because that's what generals do. But um, it really does seem like all they've been exposed to, it's not a question of them being stupid or anything, it's, and they didn't ask for this, but the only thing they're ex exposed to in terms of allowed to get a reward for are things like followers, Facebook, like Facebook, Instagram followers, you know, 700 people watch my TikTok. I saw something the other day where a kid nearly killed himself from some stunt because he wanted 70 followers on TikTok. Everybody wants to be a little bit famous, you know, everybody wants to do that. And that's it. The, the toys that we had required a, a, a real imagination. First thing I ever got, as I, as I can remember, first toy I ever got in my life that, well, actually I can't remember the first toy I ever got in my life. First toy I ever got in my life ever that I can remember, I was two. I think it was two. I might have been, might have been three, but I was no older than three because I moved shortly after that. And it was a metal police car and you put a D cell in it, and it would drive around. I don't remember if it would drive just in circles. It might have been the kind of thing where driving to hit something and then backs up. I don't remember. But what I do remember was it had a it had a siren, and on top of it had a little flashing blue light. Those old police cars with just the one blue bubble on the top. And I remember being in bedroom with the lights off looking down at that thing on the ground and that little flashing blue light and thinking this is as good as it gets all of this stuff required imagination some of that was a lot of it i guess was frustrating but you just had to exercise for example um we all played cowboys and indians growing up although i rapidly put away the cowboy thing because i thought it was a little precious the chrome six shooters once i saw daniel boone i was like i'm definitely a buckskin, Winchester rifle, you know, coonskin cap kind of guy. But we used to play that with, with cap guns. Bang, bang, bang. And and the major problem with this was, I got you. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. How can you tell? This is where things like laser tag or airsoft are kind of cool. But but it was all that. There was a, a, a I had a big... That's why the Frank Luke story kind of resonated with me. It's just big. It's like about this wide, about this long. It's a SPAD 13, plastic, big, not not a model. It was a toy, and you put a battery in it. And you, once you spun the, spun the prop, the prop would keep going. And if you hit a button, it would go, uh, 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 do a little machine gun sound. And then there was a Fokker D7 as well. These things were huge. And you had to fly it around. I'm embarrassed to say how old I was when I last did that. I was probably... How old were we then? Probably around 15, 14 or 15. And a uh, really good friend, uh, Steve Stipp, just can barely possible he's watching this. He was one of those guys. Uh, he's my best friend, and he was one of those guys <coughs> that was musically brilliantly talented and could draw anything. I was so impressed by that. So we went out, we got, there was only one fighter jet model to get in 1973, 
72, 73, there's not a lot to choose from. You got your F4s, and then you also have your F4s. I'd be willing to bet you that I have built 30 172nd scale F4 Phantoms. I bet you I've built that many. Especially remember the way those little sparrows would go, glue, you glue those babies into the bottom of the conformal on the bottom of the F4. It's great. And I remember especially like doing the blacking on the inside of the little scalloped area on the tail. The F4 is a, it's just a flying apology. I mean, the, the Phantom is just, it's just one, you want to talk about spaghetti code. The, 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 the canted winglets are, are affixed. The, the, the protruding strakes on the, on the outer part of the thing are, are, are affixed. The freaking it's just a, it's just, it's just a pig. It's a smoke and thunder hogs. What it's just a big, fast pig. Um, anyway, so we built these 172nd skill things and, and we were both big fans of the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels. <coughs> so Steve, we painted them both purple, metallic purple, that Tester's, Tester's Plaw. Does anyone know why it was called Plaw? But that's what it was called, Tester's Plaw, enamel paint. Came in a little bottle about that big. Painted them all purple. And then Steve painted flames, and he had green flames on his, and I had blue flames on mine. And he, we were in such a hurry to get out there and start flying these things. That we put that second coat on before the first coat really dried, so it kind of, you know, kind of just kind of mucked up a little and give a damn um so we went out on this street on key biscayne and i'm down there and he's over here and i'm holding my jet like this and he's holding his jet like this and we start like walking towards each other real fast you know and then like, all right so we're gonna do we're just gonna do a split break ready and we're, and we're both just walk another freaking half mile down the street after we did that pass and we're doing, you know, we're doing, okay, we're going to do like a like a diamond roll and all that other stuff. It was a blast until the Palmetter boys came by. And then I never, ever, ever got to live that down. But nevertheless, it was it was a blast. We, I built a bunch of tank models, too. I really uh, built a lot of a lot of models. I built, I was really into World War II tanks. Tanks of all kinds, really. Remember the Sheridan tank, which is not a popular tank or a well-known tank. It's a cool-looking little tank. It's a really spacey-looking tank. It's got a short little barrel because I think it just fired a... I think it might have just fired a tow missile. It was not a popular tank. But the M48 Patton, a bunch of those. And I built a bunch of the German tanks, too. I built a... I loved the King Tiger. I thought the King Tiger was a cool tank. I thought the Panther was a cool tank. And so we would play with these tanks. We didn't have these remote controls, so we put our tanks out and we get down on the mud and we kind of push these things around, you know, we push these things around. Yeah. And then we had spitballs and straws and tissue paper and um, hit. You could tell if it was a hit or not. And obviously uh, every now and then somebody would be called to make the ultimate sacrifice and you'd have to take, uh, take one of those banged up models and, go someplace out of the way and put it down on the ground and cover it in lighter fluid and sprinkle some gunpowder from, from some from from some uh, what are they called cat's eyes cats it's little tiny little firecrackers not lady fingers little bit cat cat I say cat's eyes or cat's paws anyway um, sprinkle some gunpowder over them 
right? And then lighter fluid. Oh, man, that's freaking awesome. Cat, what they call cattails? I don't remember. I just remember there's like, there's like a super micro little thing called a ladyfinger. Black cats, black cats, thank you. Yes, black cats, they were awesome. I mentioned the Palmetter boys who I'm still constantly checking the halls to see if they're out there. Uh, they were merciless about us flying those jets up and down the street. Uh, but one day at the bus stop in the morning on the way to seventh grade, seventh grade is living hell. On the way to seventh grade on the bus stop, um, one of the Palmetter boys uh, lit a black cat to throw at me. And that's what he did. He lit the black cat and I dodged and he was waiting to get a beat on me and it blew up in his fingers. And that was probably the high point of my life until I turned 45. Um, yeah, the Black Widow is interesting. The, um, the F, somebody mentioned the F-104. It's a beautiful airplane. The, F, the, the Starfighter is just, it's in a league of its own. It's just, it's just essentially a worthless airplane. It's an interceptor, right? It's not a dogfighter. It's, it can't be a dogfighter because it doesn't have any wings on it. But man, that is a beautiful airplane. It's just, it's just something so perfectly 60s about the Starfighter. Nothing else comes close. Not even my favorite jet of all time, which is the F-100. F-100 looks like a Camaro. It's like a muscle car. Uh, I always thought that was interesting, too. I always thought the Mustang fighter, World War II Mustang, looked like an American muscle car and that the Spitfire looked like a, like a British sporting car. Like Spitfire looks like a Jag. P-51 looks like a Challenger. Eric Gotts for $5. I look forward to seeing you on other channels soon. You have all the fools you need for success. <laughs> oh, dear me. Thank you, Mr. Freud. I appreciate the help. You have all the tools you need for success except exposure. Thank you, uh, Eric. And then also from Paul Wooten, who just says, thanks. You're welcome. Um, yeah, we used to like to blow things up, too. And, you know, funny thing about that is nobody I ever knew got killed, but everybody I knew got hurt to some degree. Uh, and that was, that's how you learn not to do stupid stuff. Right? Mess around and find out. I told the story before for those of you who've been here forever and have an absolutely perfectly flawless recollection of, um, of everything I ever said here. It looks like they found a girl for me. That's fantastic. 69mega.com is just, just, boy, they're just, they're, they couldn't be so excited for me. They found a girl for me, and they had screaming it out in all caps, too. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, nevertheless, you can hear it again. So, uh, before I left Bermuda to come to Florida, uh, we were into our bicycles, heavily into bicycles. Uh, almost pornographically into bicycles, you know. We lived, lived bicycles we just waited for sears catalog to come out and then it'd be something like that yeah. i can explain it all i want to there's no point how do i explain to kids some of you will know immediately how do i explain to children today the joy of first riding your own chopper when i got my chopper I lost my mind. I just couldn't believe it was real. Working.
Yeah, sort. This, my friends, this is a chopper. Uh, allow me to elaborate. Yeah. That is a chopper. Um, the finest, uh, finest mode of transportation ever designed by man. Uh, first of all, I would point out uh, the, the super high-cranked uh, handlebars, but the, the subtle details, of course, elude you. Uh, the word chopper is written right across the bottom front bar. I want to say that the chopper I had had a higher sissy bar in the back. That's what we called them back then, by the way. Those um, tall, tall back of the seats so you could recline, that's a sissy bar. That comes from motorcycle gangs. Um, but the thing about this that made this thing particularly astonishing was you'll notice that it is a multi-speed bike, but you'll also notice that there are no uh, gear-shifting levers up on the handlebars. And the reason there are no gear-shifting... Yeah, banana seat is right. The reason there are no gear-shifting levers up on the handlebars is because you shifted gears by that badass stick shift that's right smack in the center, right... Right underneath, if you go to the left handlebar, come straight down, that is a that is a stick shift. Yeah, mine was gold too, actually. It's I didn't I didn't cotton these to these orange choppers. Mine was silver was a was gold too, I want to say. Why did I get a gold one? What the hell's the matter with me? What kind of show is this anyway? Uh yeah, this is more well. I think we got the idea by now. Uh, so anyway, so, so there we were. We were on our choppers, and um, and uh, I was on my chopper, and uh, I was never, even though I had a sissy bar on my bike, I was never a sissy. But I was also not the 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 the, the bravest of the of the you know, the the guys who Mother Nature's experimenting with. Um, uh, Astrochronic wants to know why is the seat so high? Because if it were any lower, it wouldn't be as cool. That's the only answer I can give you, man. I don't know. It just—it's a low bike. You could stand up on that thing and pump that baby. So anyway, um, here's the story about my chopper. Uh, we all had these kind of things. Uh, Tom Forsyth says, "I always assumed that the kids with choppers were up to no good." Tom, I'm pretty sure I—I—I'm I, pretty sure I tromped across your lawn, lawn one day, and I apologize for that. So. At the time, I'm quite sure this hill was 25, 30 feet high. I think if I went back there today, I probably could overlook it. But in the, for the sake of the emotion of it, a pretty big hill. The, the road where I lived was somewhat elevated, and there was a, a house that was just in a, like a lower. Just like we were kind of on a hillside, so they were kind of lower. And... Our driveway went up to the house, but their driveway went down. It went it, it went down, and then it curved towards the front door. And if you went straight, there would be a little, I don't know, three-foot, four-foot berm. So the driveway is elevated. And basically what I'm saying is if you went to the top of the driveway, the house was not being rented, by the way. It was empty. Went to the top of the driveway. You could come down that driveway, pick up a lot of speed because it's pretty steep really get her cranking, and then instead of turning to go to the door, you would just rip straight ahead, get off of the 
off of the asphalt. And because there was like a four foot, three foot earth berm there, it's probably more like six, six inches, but felt like this big. If you went straight, once you once you got to that thing and you departed the, the surly bonds, if you pulled back really hard, you would get something that actually looked pretty cool, you know? You didn't get any elevation because it wasn't a ramp, but you were actually flying from the air. Yeah, damn right I had a chopper. P7, of course, all people had awesome choppers. Um, so there were about four of us there. And this was not the kind of thing I would be the guy to lead in. There were guys that were like that. First guy to say, let's let's see how, how high you could get. I wasn't that guy. But I also wasn't the guy who said, I don't know. This doesn't seem safe. I'm not going back in. I just did it. I just did it like a sissy. But this guy, he was a serious businessman. Um, and so he just kept pushing it. And we were sitting down at the bottom, off to the side. We're looking at this guy. And he's up on the top. And he says, you ready? You watching? Watch this. The famous last words for many, many, many people. So he starts cranking. Now his kid's just pedaling the hell out of this thing. He's going really fast. This is really steep. And he goes zipping by us, and he gets to the berm, and he pulls back on the handlebars like this, and he gets this incredible arch flight, and this is when time slowed down. <laughs> because I remember, I remember watching this in slow motion as it happened. He, <laughs> he pulls back on the wheel, on, on the handlebars, on those bitching, you know, we call those gooseneck handlebars, I think. Pulls back on this thing, and he's got his moment of glory. It's probably half a second, but it felt like 30. So he's up there, and pulls back, and he's just honking huge pull on this thing. We thought, hooray. Man, this guy's, uh, he's a god, and we need to worship him as one when he, when he lands this thing and pulls this thing off. And as he pulls this wheel back, the front wheel of his chopper departed the airframe. <laughs> <laughs> it just did it obviously hadn't had it screwed on real tight but when you're on the bike on the ground you're pushing down on it now he's pulling back on it and that pull and the inertia of that front wheel it just left it left the front fork and continued onward through the air it was not as encumbered by aerodynamic drag as the as the as the rest of the fuselage was so i thought that was amusing so i see this kid going through the air and then oh look Look, his wheel's going, his wheel is it's not on the bike anymore. And I remember thinking, this is how fast things happen. They really, time does speed up like this. And I remember thinking, you know, <laughs> I wasn't laughing at the time. I was really, I was really scared for the, for the, for the guy. But I remember thinking, um, it's going to be interesting when he, when he gets back to earth because he doesn't, have a wheel on the front of his car. Not only that, he's going into soft grass. And, and in fact, not only does he not have a wheel, he's got a fork. He's got like a pitchfork. And as I'm thinking this through, he's hanging on. Bless him, he didn't have the sense to jump off the thing, or he didn't have the he didn't have the man had enough dignity to <laughs> ride this one out. So bike comes back down. The front fork digs into the grass. As over tea kettle, he goes face first into the grass. We go running over there, not to help him. We'd just never seen a dead body before. And um, and he 
his face was in the earth like to hear. And uh, and we thought, oh, who's going to be the one to tell his mom? You know, it's not going to be me, man. Just park, maybe we could just drag him back and leave him outside the door. Um, but next thing you know, he just kind of looks up and his face was covered in dirt because he was three inches into that wet grass. <laughs> Blows the grass out of his teeth. Says the one thing that every real honest American male would say in a situation like that. I've said it many times, having been in similar situations, and that is, is the bike okay? <laughs> and in my mind, I'm sure this can't be true, but in my mind, I remember looking down and seeing the, f the imprint of a human face into the, into the mud, like, like, a, like a mask. He did not eject, 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 Dave Big Booty. He rode that one out. He screwed the pooch, bought the farm. Augered in, man. He just augered it in. Um, moment of silence for him. I, don't, I, don't, I, I wasn't close friends with the guy. Uh, wasn't cool enough to be, and I, I suspect he probably didn't make it out of third grade. See, this is an important. This is actually an important point, right? It's not just not only do you just make friends and do dangerous things and and you know and, and like holy crap, can we, did we do that? Yeah, builds your confidence, man. And and you have friends who will carry you to a hospital. That's not the same as somebody who's you know well, I follow you on on give me your give me your IG. Uh, but also, you kind of have to do dangerous things you have to get hurt a little bit right and sometimes you have to get hurt more than a little bit you don't want to get killed or i never knew a kid ever 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 who was badly hurt playing i did know two kids who were killed every kid my age by the way if you're if you're a certain age 1959 that's when that's when i made my appearance but somewhere around there if and i'm sure before then too it's just not true anymore it certainly wasn't true by the time we got to the, probably even to the 70s, it was probably gone by then. But at my age, everybody I knew all around the world, whatever friends I had that were my age, also knew of two guys, of two boys their age who were killed. Everybody knew of two sets of boys that were killed in completely different circumstances. It was just what happened. It was just, yeah. When I got to school in Key Biscayne, they we're driving over the Rickenbacker Causeway, and one day there's a car crash and, and, and two guys, twin, twin brothers, killed. When I was in Bermuda, there were two kids killed because they had dug a cave. Bermuda has sandstone that is so soft that you can, it doesn't even just chip away, you can kind of just scoop it away, right? Just kind of, if you had like an old, like a steel pot helmet, you could just gouge things out so these kids are they found like a natural like an indentation they thought well we'll just deepen it out a little bit we'll have our own little cave that's what they did and then it collapsed on them and that was the end of that um where their helmet a ps a p7 2017 says i'll just call you p7 if you don't mind were their helmets or there were helmets question mark i can ask helmets no there weren't any helmets helmets for for policemen and fighter pilots, of course we didn't have any helmets. That's what we have the thick skulls for. 
Um, I, I'm trying to think about the worst that I ever got hurt. I've never, I've never, to my knowledge, broken a bone in my life. It's possible that I broke my toe playing football when I kicked a football somehow and my foot moved, but the football didn't. That turned black and blue and swole up and hurt like nothing I've ever been through before until I had my wisdom teeth and my uh, kidney stone encounters. But in terms of playing, I don't, I, I can't remember how bad, the worst thing that ever happened to me was. Either got the wind knocked out of me or kicked in the nuts, basically. Those are the two choices. And and frankly, if you're a young male and you haven't had both of those things happen to you, then I, I genuinely pity you. Um, who remembers disinfecting cuts with iodine? I do. And you know what? You know what's interesting about that? Uh, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> like, what an awesome name. Yes, we had to do the iodine thing. Oh, I cut mom, I cut my hand, I cut my elbow. Okay, we cut my elbow all the time, stub my toe every day. Right. Hello, Jim in Honduras. And they would get this iodine, which didn't do anything to kill germs. It was just specially formulated to, to, in, to induce massive amounts of pain. Nothing stung like iodine on a wound. Nothing. Nothing. And I remember hating that stuff with a passion. I would, I would, you could take half of my skin off and I wouldn't, wouldn't utter a peep. Mobile Moto says then hydrogen peroxide came out. And then one year when I was about eight, I went on our annual trip to Pennsylvania and we went to Plymouth meeting to see my Aunt Marty and my cousins who I just loved. It was a yearly attraction. We just looked forward to that so much. Two weeks in America. And we went out and I skinned my arm or elbow or knee or something. And Aunt Marty said, um, hang on a minute. And she sprayed this stuff on there. I said, is this, io is this iodine? She said, no, no. And not only did it not sting, it stopped hurting. I said, what is this miracle substance? She says, it's called Bactine. Bactine. Yeah, it's a disinfectant and it's got a little bit of topical anesthetic. It kills the germs and it makes it hurt less? Yeah, Bactine. How do I find this Bactine? <laughs> Who do I have to kill to get a supply of Bactine? I was so impressed by Bactine. I really, really was. It, 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 I remember waiting for this bite, and it was like, not only did we not get a bite, it's like, no, it feels a little better. Are you kidding? Amazing. All the toys we had were, <laughs> I almost said they were dangerous, but I grew up, I, oh, 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 that, that's, I felt that one myself. IKO forces, I stepped on a huge nail and it stuck in my foot. I can feel that one right now, man. I can feel that one. Mobile Moto hits it right on the head. See, these things were there to thin the herd before the herd got too expensive to thin or could, before the herd could fight back, really. Um, <clears throat> Dave Big Booty says, I can remember the smell of Bactine. I can't. I can remember the smell of a new baseball glove, though. And I remember how bloody hard it was to break that thing in. I hated that. I hated it. Um... Oh, man. Uh, nail, nail puncture stories? Look, I can take it, but I, I was lucky that it never happened to me. Um, no, they were... The, you kind of needed to get hurt a little bit. And um, and the thing... See, here's the thing. The thing about getting hurt is you realize that it didn't kill you. It hurt at the time, but it doesn't hurt now. 
And, um, oh, man, there's all these people talking about stepping on nails. That's actually, uh, yeah, I had a red, white, and blue uh, when I was playing, as I've said many times, is, is, people say there's such a thing as a uh, correlation without causality. I, I beg to differ in this case. My first year in Little League Baseball, they put me in right field because that's where they always put the worst player. We went 0-10. Second year playing Little League Baseball, my final year, by the way. Um, I moved to first base, and then we went 10-0. and Coincidence? Seems a bit unlikely. Uh, but when I got, and, and thank God it's Little League because he's not great to have a right-handed first baseman. Couldn't throw worth a damn, but I could catch really well. And, um, yeah. These are all, like, true tales of adventure, but these are things that these are things that actually make you... They, 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 they stabilize you. It's like a gyroscope, right? What happened? Well, I cut this and... You ever, get, you ever get the wind knocked out of you, by the way? I think there are two generations. Seriously, now I'm, I'm not kidding. I think there are two generations. <laughs> don't don't foot caught in the spokes because I've got a foot caught in the spokes story. It's the best story of all time. I'm gonna get you're gonna get it. I don't care if you've already heard it. It's coming. But there's an entire gender, two generations now that have never uh, boys boys that have never had the wind knocked out of them. And I'm telling you, man, having the wind knocked out of you doesn't really hurt, but it scares the bejesus out of you. I just, I couldn't even conceive of such a thing. What do you mean he had the wind knocked out of him? He can't breathe. What do you mean he can't breathe? Something broken? No, he just got the wind knocked out of him. Well, then put some wind in him. He should be breathing. What's the big deal? I don't even remember. I, to this day, I still don't know the dynamics of this. Somebody will tell me. The, um, now, the cure, of course, for having uh, uh, the wind knocked out of you is to give him some air. That's, that, that was the 100%, 100%... Uh, guaranteed uh, remedy for having the wind knocked out of you is give him some air. So, boom, and, and, and you just get hit. Next thing you know, you're on the ground, and you're like, I think I'll breathe now. It's like, no, no. You cannot breathe, and it is freaking terrifying. <laughs> IKO4, you, you win the internet. For, you, you are now my... You are now my idol, sir. I worship you. He says, I had the wind knocked out of me about once a week. What a great American you must be. My God, I, 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 I just, I, I could never hang with people that awesome. Once a week, that's fantastic. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever, I think the term we used at the time, have gotten racked. But getting racked isn't any fun either. That'll put you on the ground. And I don't think, I don't, I, I'm serious. Does anybody know, does any, are there any Gen Zers out there or millennials We've either had the wind knocked out of them or been racked. Oh, Eric Blake for the wind. Bill, I absolutely had the wind knocked out of me. Walking on a two by four that slipped and hit the ground. And guess what? I'm millennial. Well, you you win the you win the prize. You win the prize. Congratulations. I'm glad to, I, I knew if there was going to be one, it was going to be you, Eric. I knew it. Um uh, my most prominent scar, that foot spokes thing. So this wasn't the worst I ever got hurt because I didn't get hurt very much. It was certainly the most spectacular thing I ever did as a kid. Uh, and none of this has to do with Christmas, by the way, but I'm on a roll. 
longtime listeners of the Stratosphere Lounge know the story by art. You, good time for you to go make some coffee or something. For those few of you who've not been here for 10 years. The thing about bikes is, see, I, I'm, now, I'm being completely serious now for Gen Zers, millennials as well, generally speaking. I'm not being flip here. I'm about as serious as I, as I can be. Without the internet and without the ability for you to have your consciousness reach out anywhere into the world, you're pretty much stuck inside this, this body. You're, you can imagine things, but you're not in contact with anything else. You're not, you're not getting information. You're not giving information. You're not taking pictures. You're not talking to anybody. You don't know where you are. You don't have a map. You are, you are on your own. And since there is no way to communicate or, or navigate or anything, you have to take this thing, this whole hunk of meat, and move it around because you couldn't just go there in your mind. You couldn't just Google it. You couldn't just look it up. You couldn't just, you know, play the game. I'm, I'm really serious about this. And so I think that's the reason why bikes were so crazy popular for us was because it was – everybody talks about it being like physical freedoms. It, it's kind of intellectual freedom. It's like, oh, I don't have to look at the same thing again. I can get on my bike or look at something new. Yeah. So – I lived on Key Biscayne and it's, uh, just off the coast of Miami. And we were going to ride from Key Biscayne to the Dade County Youth Fair, which was the best thing I ever have experienced in my life was the Dade County Youth Fair. And it was a good, that was a good ride. It was, it was 20 miles, I would say, at least. And I had uh, two friends. I had one friend who was on the island, and then we met these other two friends just off the island. And just... When you get off of Rickenbacker Causeway, you head over towards the Miami Space Transit Planetarium. It's a tiny little street. It's not brickle. It's just a tiny little street. Nobody knows it's there. It's back in a residential area. So we'd uh, formed up in the diamond formation, as was our uh, want at the time. And we we're just, you know, four freaking 13, 14-year-old dorks who would eventually go on to make movies together. And we're bicycling down this little back road, and we're feeling good. I've already gone five, six miles, and I'm feeling great. Now, I wasn't in the chopper at this time. I had graduated to the 10-speed um, uh, derailleur with the wrapped handlebars, which I realize now is the beginning of the decline of this country. I didn't realize it until just a second. But those are very French bikes, and, and once I realized I was on a racing bike, I, looking back on it now, I realize that's when, that's when we lost America is when we gave up our choppers for those French 10-speed derailers anyway that's what i had I had a silver one i was loving it loving it um so we're going down the street and there's four of us and and same friend steve who painted the um the f4s before they were dried and two other guys whose names elude me although fritz fritz bronner probably was one of them and anyway, we're going down this back street no cars, no traffic, nothing. We're just on cruise now. Now we're like, ah, all right, we still got another 10, 15 miles to go, but feeling good. And uh, and Steve always very dramatic about naming things, and he loved green. He was green. He was fanatic about the color green. And he had a green bike, imagine my shock. And he said, uh, all right, here we are, boys. I'm riding the Green Dragon, you know. Got the... Uh, black rubber handlebar things. He's pointing out all these things on his bike, right? And uh, and then some other guy said, yeah, well, I'm on the 
I'm on the blue bolt, you know, and he's talking about his bike. And, you know, and we're just like grooving on the fact that we're just moving. We were going from one place to another. And so then it's my turn. So I had a silver, silver, called it a racing bike. Ten speed is what we called it. Silver ten speed, two little shifting levers, tape around the curved handlebars. And I had blue tape on the, on the handlebars. And there were little tiny little red accents right on the front of this thing. So we're zooming along at 25, 30 miles an hour. And, um, and I said, all right, I'm, my turn. So I'm on the silver streak, you know. I got my, got my badass red, white, and blue thing going here. I got the silver bike. I got the blue tape here. And down here, I got the red accents. So I go to tap the red accents with my, with my foot to indicate to those who were paying attention uh, where they were on the bike. Um, but this was something I had miscalculated. <laughs> and uh, instead of tapping the outside of the fork, I, I, I tapped into the spoke. And that meant, <laughs> that meant that my toe did a very rapid tour of the entire, uh, the entire amount of play that the bike had. I tapped my foot just slightly forward of the fork, put my toe into the spokes. I'm doing 25 miles an hour. My toe goes all the way around the circle, comes back, hits the, the, the bar. That locks up the front wheel. I go flying over that. I landed on my back. My bike then lands on top of me, and the bike is, is spread out, so it's kind of a ramp. And then the guy who was behind me jumps the ramp, jumps me. This happens in a split second. So I got the red thing, boom, whoop. Over, on my back, bike on top of me, guy jumps over me crushing the bike onto me and that kind of thing. So, no helmets, nothing. I just remember thinking, I got up, you all right? I said, is the bike okay? Bike was okay, so there you go. That's it. That's it. But it's just, I, I just, I, when I say pity, I don't mean it to sound like in a demeaning way. I mean, I am genuinely sad for for um for <laughs> yeah. Dave Big Booty he's dead Jim yeah leave him behind we're we're these Harfoots the weak there's no there's no limping in this crowd not with my pals nobody limps in this crowd if you're not if you're not able to keep up you you just get left behind we'll we'll leave you a, a pistol with one bullet um but I really genuinely feel sorry for for them that they didn't get to do these things and, and I'm sure they have no idea of why they would want to. But it's just so real, you know? I mean, it's just real. When you fall, when you fall onto asphalt, and it wasn't my fault, by the way, it was the asphalt. Uh, but when you get up, there's little pebbles stuck in the back of your head and stuck in your arms. They're just stuck there because... You hit really hard. Brush, not just dirt, little tiny little pebbles, little bastards. Brushing these things off. You okay? I took the skin off my elbow. It's fine. Just stings a little bit. Is the bike okay? Yeah. Well, then we're then we're on. Let's go, man. And I don't know why. Now, mobile modus is something. He's it's really. I I never really quite put them together until just now. He said, "Jackass movies were the epitome of growing up in the '80s." 
I guess I don't know what you mean by that. I suspect if I had to guess, you mean that watching the Jackass movies were it. But I've I've always kind of like British comedies, you know, fairly you know kind of clever, kind of you know kind of sissy kind of comedies. But when I saw Jackass, I couldn't get enough of it. I loved it so much. I I I loved it so much. I wanted to be one of those guys. I'm a full grown adult by this time. I wanted to be one. I wanted to hang with them. And these guys are getting really badly hurt. Now, I could have done, I'm pretty sure I would have done any of the stunts, but I wouldn't have, I don't think I could have done the gross stuff. But yeah, the roller skating inside a semi truck, that looked like just a blast. Just looked like a blast. And, um, and I just remember thinking, see, that's, that's, that's like, that's what real bonding is, man. You know, that's what real friends are. Friends, a guy who's going to, you know, he's going to ride in a outhouse with you as you get launched into the air on a bungee cord thing, you know. It's, it's, it's not something that's reproducible without the physical danger. I imagine um, that, uh, that combat is like that cubed. I don't know and I never will know, but I imagine it is. Because when you go out and you do these things, you kind of get hurt a little bit. We were such, we were so, we were so, it's funny. We were so focused. And at the same time, we were so happy. We were so, we weren't neurotic. We were just focused. I was 13 or 14. I decided when I was five, I was going to be a fighter pilot in the U.S. Air Force. I still had three or four years to go for the physical. Go to the um, Dade County Youth Fair. And they had this one ride that was like a, like a round capsule, almost like a Advil pill. Not like a capsule capsule, like a round disc. Hang on a second. This is my... Uh... Hello? Hello? I'm still on the show. Oh. Yeah, you're on... You're on... Oh, you don't have to. I'm I'm about done. Uh, I, I'm just I'm just uh, reliving the glory days and you know, making a fool out of myself for money. That's what I do. Um, I'll call you back as soon as I get, <laughs> call you back as soon as I get off this, this nutty thing. Okay, bye bye. Um, so you'd sit three three by a side. It was a round thing. Close the door. Had like a like a you know kind of almost like a chain link kind of thing. And it's spinning you the hell around. And we're thinking, okay, the goal will be like, don't get sick. That's the mission objective. I said, no, the mission objective on this ride, boys, is you see that red Volkswagen bug out there? Yeah. All right. We're sitting in this thing. They're getting warming this thing up. We're just getting strapped in. Uh, so, so here's the challenge. Here's the mission. We're going to go through this whole four-minute ride, and we're never going to take our eyes off of that red Volkswagen, right? That's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to lock onto that no matter what we do. And that's what we did. Spin it upside down, round backwards, upside down. You know, I'm still on it. I got it. No problem. We're good. We're good. We're good. I can handle a, I can handle a control jet malfunction if that should be the case. If, if the Gemini capsule I was in happened to start a high speed roll, maybe even a 60 RPM roll, I would know how to isolate those individual axes, and I just kind of ease that baby back on. Mobile Moto says Bill missed running over kids on snow sleds as 
as kids. I did. Snow was magical to me up until the time I was 20. Magic. You grew up in Bermuda, it's like snow. You grew up in Pennsylvania, it's like beach. Uh, but, um, oh, wow. Buck of 588 says, Bill, I can't say combat, but I do have experience fighting fires, and there's definitely an adrenaline rush being in a building that's on fire. <laughs> yeah. Bless you, man. Um, I envy you. I really do. I envy you. And and uh, and I'm ashamed that I don't do it. That'll make sense to some people, other people not. I'm ashamed that I don't get paid to run into buildings that are on fire. I really do. I am I'm ashamed of myself. I'm not joking. I'm serious as I can be. Um But anyway, this was this was just this is the world I grew up in. And um and it it you know, every every generation's always thought, well, you know, uh, when I was a kid, it was so much better. And there's all that rose-colored color, gla- glasses looking backward and all of that. I get all of that. The one thing I can say with absolute certainty is, is that we were certainly happier than kids are today. There's no question about that in my mind. N- none. Uh, uh, Big House says, uh, hey, you could sign up for the volunteer firefighting service, Bill. Um when I said I was ashamed of myself for not going, I wasn't so ashamed that I would, you know, actually go. You know, that's actually I would really I would really dig that a lot. I think that'd be really fun. Not fun. Important. It would be important, you know? You feel like you're pulling your weight here, like, you know, got all these things given to you. It's like how do you pay that back? Well, occasionally I go run into burning buildings, trap the fire up. Um that's something to think about. Uh, Air Techie says, where can we send ideas about the colonies? You just have to hold them into your, in your enormous cranium for the time being. There's no point in sending them in right now because um, it's just I just got called away. Oh, I, I'm, it's the last thing I'll say. Because uh, just a fun night. You're talking about Christmas presents. Uh, every, everything that we got uh, in terms of toys were all practical. I'm with you on that too there, P7. They were all practical. That means that if you had a ray gun, it had to somehow generate something that looked like a ray on the inside. And Plazer ray gun was just the most amazing toy ever. Uh, and everything we had was practical. And every toy that, that I experienced from the age of four to about the age of 12 was not only practical, it was also, it was also extraordinarily lethal. I can't believe, actually, I almost said I can't believe that they let us play with that. But what I really meant to say is I can't believe that they don't let kids play with that now. The lawn darts are a classic example. For those of you who have not seen them, they're steel spike about that long with big plastic bins on the back designed to puncture your cranium and kill you dead, dead, dead. Now, they said that it was just a kind of a dark game where you'd throw them and put them inside like a hula hoop and like that, but nobody I knew ever played that wussy game. The reason you got the, the jarts, the lawn darts, is so you could wind up and throw them into a tree about as hard as you could. Um, those were deadly poison, deadly dangerous, rather. There was um, there was a, 
toy. I can't even call it a toy. It was a product I like very much. Very short-lived product. Probably only was around for three, four, five years. It was called uh, Creepy Crawlers. And uh, that put me in the plastics manufacturing business at age six, seven, something like that. So Creepy Crawlers, chemistry sets. Yes, chemistry sets were awesome. They used to have, before I was born, they used to have uh, radiology sets that had actual radium in them. You know, you'd, you'd hold up a Geiger, Geiger counter to this thing. Anyway, um, so uh, here's what creepy crawlers were. is uh, They were aluminum molds of various creatures. And they were empty. And there was a liquid plastic that had the exact consistency and came from the exact same bottle as Elmer's glue did. And this stuff was called plastigoop. Plastigoop. And the idea was you would this thing into the mold. You had a little wire handled, put it in this, let it expand, you hold it up, and this thing goes then onto a completely open, wide open heating element about that big that heats this thing up really hot. I remember the smell of burning plastigoop. And I remember the smell of Burning Billy. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, so you would just essentially take a liquid thing, put it on this thing for a while. It'd harden up. You'd peel it out. And then you had a little bug or whatever. But the art was they had 15 of these different colors. So you could put little like streaks here and all that cool stuff. So those were great. But that, I don't know what that that hot plate got to, but it must have gotten to. Got hot enough to burn you really badly. That much I know for sure. Play-Doh was a lot of fun. Um, uh, silly Putty. Silly Putty was not just fun. Silly Putty was fun and useful. So you could do a bunch of things with Silly Putty. My favorite thing about Silly Putty was you could take a comic book and press a Silly Putty on it, and it would take enough of the ink off, and you could see it, then you could distort it. Kind of like the guy with the magnetic iron filings. You, it's just a guy's face, and you got a little magnet underneath, you and things filled with iron filings. You, kind of drag his mustache here like this, you know, and you got to give him some sideburns, you know, and then that's it. That's all it did. Um, yeah, and I had a bunch of us Army soldiers and had G.I. Joes back when they were man-sized G.I. Joes, not these silly things. Silly putty, yeah. Operations, Operation, bless you, Aesop. Operation is a great game. All these are practical games, and and not to put too fine a point on it, but Operation, for those who are not familiar with Operation, real simple game. It's got a cartoon outline of a guy, and, um, and you have to use a little pair of tweezers to accomplish things. Like you had to take a rubber band from like his hip and, and pull it to his knee, but you couldn't touch any of the edges because there was a little electrical circuit was hooked up to the pen. And if you touched anything, his red nose would light up, and you failed. So that was actually required a significant amount of dexterity. That Parts of that were really pretty tough. And okay, so just hold her steady, man. <coughs> Excuse me, IKO4 says, uh, hey, Bill, I still have my creepy crawler set. No plastic goop, though. Still have my 12-inch G.I. Joe 2. Wow, man, you are, you are just racing ahead of me here. To, to think that you still have your creepy crawler set is amazing. But those things were hot. The people people got burned badly by those things. I got burned badly by them. You know what the result of that was? I don't touch hot things anymore. That was the that was the hidden message behind <laughs> behind creepy crawlers. 
you, you thought you were getting something that lets you make little plastic, you know, spiders and bugs and stuff, but really what you're getting was a don't touch something that's hot lesson. I think the last, I keep saying the last thing. Um, I was very, very, very fortunate. The school I went to went to British private schools there. Uh, they were called grammar schools, public schools, but they were, I guess they were semi-private because I don't think there was a public school there. I don't remember. In any event, it was a great school. And I went to Warwick Academy, and then I went to Saltus Grammar School. When I was in Saltus Grammar School, probably second or third grade, I want to say, we took 12 subjects a week, staggered the days, and one of the things we, we took was um, metal shop. We had wood shop, we had metal shop. And in wood shop, you could cut yourself pretty badly with a, um, with a chisel or a plane or something. But metal shop, <laughs> I know this is inconceivable today. In metal shop, there are little blazers and a little short pants and a little school ties and school crest and little stocks and all the rest of that stuff. We would line up and they had a piece of iron bar about that long. And we had tongs and we would put this thing in the furnace until it was glowing yellow hot. And then the instructor would show us how to put the end of this flat piece of iron into this kind of a hook, and you could bend it around this pre-shaped curve. So we were making like um, decorative uh, gate ornaments when I was three. And here's something I learned about that. Um, Touching something that's red hot is really hurts a lot, and I didn't have that experience because it was glowing red hot. Uh, yellow hot is even hotter. But one of the lessons I learned uh, in this metal shop class was uh, there's a temperature range where it is not so hot that it's glowing, but still hot enough that it will burn the living daylights out of you. And I had this put this metal bar down. It had been red hot. I bent it. It's not glowing anymore. I look over here. I do something, 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 and I picked this thing up. I just grabbed it in my hand, and that really hurt. Uh, <laughs> Air Techie says, forged in fire in Bermuda. That's me. Uh, Rodzilla for a Super Chat says, did you know that Silly Putty was invented to remove coal ash off of wallpaper? He almost went belly up when people went away Went away from coal to gas is a great story. I did not know that. So they needed something sticky just to, they could spread out, just kind of peel. I, I did not know that. To get coal ash off a wall, wallpaper. That's not so much a problem today as it used to be. Um, that's awesome. And the guy just about went out of business. Then he en ended up inventing the masterpiece. I'll tell you, anybody who's ever had this ever... When I say I have mixed feelings about slinkies, do you know what I'm talking about when I say my, my, my opinion of slinkies is not 100% thumbs up? Um, huh. Well, Deef just made a... Uh, made a uh, Almost made a point, which I'll get to in just a second. Um, 
the uh, Deep says, um, uh, so Bill, you went to British schools. You understand that color is spelled with a U. Color is spelled with a U. Color is spelled without a U. Uh, that it's pronounced carbine, carbine, not carbine. Yes, I would say carbine. And that Celsius is the superior temperature system. That, my dear fellow, I must strenuously disagree with. Uh, there's no question that Celsius, there's no question that the metric system here, everybody's going, oh, Jesus, somebody started on the metric system again. There's no question, none, that for scientific activities, it is the way to go. Um, water freezes at zero C, boils at 100 C. Awesome, piece of cake. But in terms of actual, look, and, and I, I know what I'm talking about here because I've been married for six years. It was six years on December 31st, sixth, sixth anniversary. So I've been dealing with a centigrade person and doing the calculations and the conversions for six years. And Celsius is a, is a far inferior system for the temperatures which people deal with, right? Somebody's actually got this really down, but zero degrees Celsius is cold. Zero degrees Fahrenheit is cold. 100 degrees Fahrenheit is hot. 100 degrees Celsius is you're dead. There's, what is it, two and a half, three degrees between, a Fahrenheit degrees between uh, a Celsius degree? I can feel it. Fahrenheit is far more granular, and Fahrenheit is much more, not only is it more granular, is it more finely calibrated, it's also much, much more intuitively suited to the human experience. That's why it was invented first. Now, again, if I was gonna, if I was gonna say for scientific stuff, being able to multiply by 10 easily, that's handy. And having the multiple built into the name, a kilometer, that's handy too. But not only do I not think those are ideal for everyday use, I find personally, it's my personal feeling, I find that using scientific terms in a non-scientific context sterilizes them. You know, I wouldn't walk 1.6 kilometers for a camel. Uh, it's, it's, it's too, uh, astrochronics, uh, sorry, mobile said it's too coarse, not too coarse. It's too clinical. That's the word. It's, it smells of, it smells of alcohol and disinfectant, you know? Um, it's just, every time I hear people, I'm just gonna come out and say it. Anytime I hear people using the metric system in day-to-day -day life, I think of Dr. Mengele in a white lab coat with with his peaked cap on and a clipboard in his hand. You know, I, I just do. I just do. Um, I I much prefer imperial. Now, here's where I've got you in terms of the logic thing, folks. Here's where I've got you. You see, a foot is a defined distance, right? 12 inches, we don't know how long a foot is. But the foot doesn't correspond to anything, right? But neither does the meter. If the meter had some kind of, there's no question that Celsius temperature scale does in fact correspond beautifully to the freezing and boiling point of water. It's extraordinarily useful if you're working in a lab. But if you want to know what temperature it is, it's just, it's just not as precise. However, however, the meter is 
defined by something as X number of angstroms long, and there is the actual meter. There's a piece of, I guess it's aluminum, that's a meter long. If anybody has to find out if this is really a meter, there is, in fact, the official meter. But, but, there is no... There is no external reference for a kilometer. There's no external reference for a mile. But, but, there is a reason to believe that a nautical mile is how we should measure distance. A nautical mile, which is 6,000, a little over 6,000 feet instead of 5,280 feet, a nautical mile corresponds to is it one minute of, of arc? It is, it, is, it is defined as a percentage of the radius of the Earth. It's platinum. Platinum iridium. Sure, it couldn't be aluminum. I've got an aluminum one. I just got a knockoff. Um, but the nautical mile is, in fact, the only... The meter is one... One millionth the distance from London to the equator, if I recall correctly. Well, that's nothing arbitrary about that. Now, if you told me that the meter was something that was some fraction of the distance between the pole and the equator, okay. Then you'd have something like the nautical mile. The nautical mile, 60 nautical miles, I want to say, represents one degree of, of latitude. Longitude varies as you go north and south, but latitude remains constant. I want to say that 60 nautical miles is one degree. Um, now... Um, yes, water freezes at zero and it boils at 100, Deef, I get it. But you never spend, you have never, ever, ever spent a day of your life living in half of that scale. From 50C to 100C, you have never experienced in your entire life, you probably haven't experienced 45C, right? That's my point. It's, it's very useful if I want to figure out what temperature this is relative to the boiling point of water, but you have lost half of that century of, this, of the Celsius scale. You have never experienced it. Because if you do, you'll die. Now, the nautical mile is a wickedly cool thing. And one nautical mile per hour is a knot. And that's why God intended airplanes to be measuring their speed in knots. Just the same as ships. Aircraft don't move at meters per second. They move in knots. How fast are we going? We're 620 knots. All right. Um, all right, then. Uh now, here's where it gets uh, particularly interesting. The foot is divided into 12 inches. The compass is divided into 360 degrees, which is a multiple of 12. 12 is a far superior number to 10. 10 is a dangerously unstable number. We have decimal system because we ended up with five of these things. But 12, on the other hand, is magnificent. If you take a look at a compass rose, all of the major divisions are whole numbers. They're tens of numbers. 0, 90, 180, 270. No 45s or anything like that. 30, 60, 90. All of that works out beautifully. And because 12 is such a superior number in terms of its elegance and its use, it's far more intuitive than, than a number, than anything based on 10. The 12 is, is 
the 12 is just elegant. And, and all you have to do is look at a compass, like a really good compass. And what you see is, oh, here's the circle. Here's pi. Here it is in its perfection. Perfect, 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 perfect. Now, you dice up something exactly the same way, but you haven't put numbers on it. If you put numbers on it in the decimal system, you end up with, oh, so that that one quarter of the way, what is that? That's 45 degrees. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know what I'm saying? 30, 60, 90. It's just beautiful. 12 hours in a day, 12 months in a year. Yes. Fathoms. Now, fathoms are are really cool. Now, I'm certainly willing to agree that things like, a, you know, how many rods long is this or uh, furlongs or anything like that. But there are two measure I don't need to do science when I'm when I'm talking in fact as a writer anyway I like the texture of words I like the way they I like the way they feel they got a nice woody quality they're not tinny like like uh, the metric system is a kilometer is a tinny term but furlong you know or, or fathom it's a good woody sound uh, I miss fathoms and I miss leagues I think a league is a tremendously cool measurement Three miles, right? Three, three miles, I think, a league. Um, just sounds, it sounds, it sounds like adventure because that's when all the adventuring was done, right? When people were adventuring, they were traveling leagues in ships that would sink and go down to 30 fathoms or more. Fathom is six feet, I think, right? That's like, that sounds right. Fathom. Uh, Eric Blake asked the question, so Bill, is it a quarter pounder with cheese or a royale with cheese? Well, it's here. It's a quarter pounder with cheese, obviously. Um, yes, horses are measured by hands. Yes, I, I get all of that. But but again, seriously, I don't know how many ha hands tall a horse is, but let's say it's 25 hands. I don't know. Could be 200. Let's say it's 25 hands. That is a fine-looking animal. It's a 25-hand horse there. No, no, no. This horse is 1.263 meters tall. It's, like, it's a horse. It's not a freaking... It's not a... It's not an experiment. It's a horse. Hands. 17 is a big horse. So when I say 25 is a big, big horse, right? Um, all right. So um, the British still use stones. I have never understood stone, really. I mean, I get it, and, and I'm not complaining about it. But stone for me, I just never, I never did the stone thing. Never got it. Um, I do remember, however, in Bermuda when they made the switch from pounds, shillings, and pence to pounds and pence. And they did that because the digital age was beginning to arrive. And there was no way to get pounds, shillings, and pence uh digitally so they they had to do the conversion because we're just starting just starting to get like things like electronic cash registers that kind of thing and i remember very clearly when they made that switch i remember our english teacher telling us about it and that was the end of the world um and on some level she's right you know the british empire when they were using pound shillings and pence was a much more magnificent thing than the one that was used uh using the decimal system yes farthings exactly hay pennies Hey, a penny, British penny, is huge. It's just a gigantic coin. It's a freaking manhole cover. Um, 
and a farthing is a quarter of a penny. So if you don't have a farthing, 12 pennies to a shilling, 20 shillings to a pound, yes. I always thought the word shilling was about the most British word there is in the world, right? It's shilling. How, how much you're being paid? I'm being paid four shillings, governor. Little tip of the hat, four shillings. How much to cross this river on your back? My man, that'd be six shillings and fourpence, sir. Get to it then. I'll just sit up here on your shoulders where it's nice and dry. Now, no splashing and make it quick. But I'm old enough to remember going to stores and seeing something listed as four pounds, six and three. Four pounds, six shillings and threepence. Threepence. And tuppence. I don't think there was a fuppence, however, or a fippence. There was a sixpence, and there was a penny, and there was a tuppence, there was a threepence. Don't think there was a quadruppence. Who knows? Crown, a crown, that's a nice, that's a real nice term, too. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure what, is a crown, um, and the other one is a guinea. They're both bigger than pounds. I want to say one of them is three pounds. Three pounds sterling, guinea, a guinea and a, and a crown, half a crown. Yeah. Anyway, how much is a smidge? Not very much, actually. Um, all right. I think gilders, gilders, that's a nice woody sound, a gilder. Yeah. All right. Crown had to be five shillings. That's right. It is smaller because half a crown was two and six. P7, I like your style, sir. Or madam, I meant no offense, please, uh, no canceling. A smidge is two pinches or a half a dash. I did, I did not know that those were actual measures. That's awesome. See, that's great. See, that's great. What is this fantastic pumpkin pie? What is it? It's just a dash of cinnamon. Did you, when you said a dash of cinnamon, did you mean to say? 1.4 milligrams of cinnamon? No, I meant to say a dash of cinnamon. Oh, I see. I would like to know what it is in milligrams, please. How many milligrams of cinnamon must I add to this pie in order to make it as delicious as this one is? Can't do it. Can't get that kind of flavor out of the metric system. It won't deliver it. Um, it it'll dude says uh, 50 caliber sounds proper. See, there you go. You're you're on now. You now you're on the trolley. 12.7 millimeters sounds like jewelry measurements. Argument over. I, I, I rest my case. This is a 50 caliber. Before 50 caliber handguns became common, my favorite thing about the weapon I used to have before a tragic boating accident was, uh, uh, so why do you have a 45, Bill? Because they don't make a 46. That thing is a, it's just a, it's a beast. It is. It's. It, it's. It's. You, you can be very accurate with it. I'm just not. But the nice thing about a 45 is, you just have to get it into the same quadrant. You know, get it within a 60 degree spread, and you don't have to hit the guy. Shockwave from that. From that slug will probably take him down. All right. You know, I think uh, this has been kind of a kind of a chill kind of a session. You know, which I needed. So I think at this point, um, wow, 
All right, that's better. We're back. We're back. We're now we're back in the saddle. See, back in the saddle. Three hours and fifteen minutes answered two questions. Yes. So I think at this point I will wrap this baby up by saying uh, this show is made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com to whom we have uh, uh, pledged our, our our lives, our our homes, and our sacred honor. Uh, and we're very, very grateful, uh, as always, for all of you. Uh, so far, so far, 2023 is big improvement over the last three years. And uh, that's not saying much, but, you know, you take what you can get, I think. All right, kids. Well, you be careful out there. And um, remember to put those little foam rubber caps on the end of your um, lawn darts there before you put them away. Be sure your, um, your uh, wood-burning... Uh, tools are unplugged and that your chemistry set is stowed safely in a well-ventilated area. Hello, hot robins. Sorry, hot. I'm sorry. It's my fault. It's the pail. It's the pail. Hot Rob Bubba. Love it. How are you? First time chat. Always like, always like hearing from those people. Yes, CP Tomes. Well said. We do a three-hour tour. Thank you guys, everybody. All the kind words. I really appreciate it. All right, so um, we're going to get back in the saddle, get some, some content out here, and dive into this goat rodeo. But this is how you survive, um, uh, how you defend yourself against mass psychosis events, is doing what we just did for three hours. That's how you do it. Uh, had an enjoyable evening, like as, like as the wave says. I did too, actually, for a change. <sighs> All right, we'll see you Thursday night on the Stratosphere Lounge. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure, and we'll see you next time.